the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, it's a Monday again. We made it through the weekend, and I don't know about yours, but mine was pretty good, not bad. Got the Christmas stuff down, got it all put up. Uh, had to go down to the bottom of my property because now it's at least dry enough that I can squish around in it. And uh, people who had not raked their leaves earlier uh, during this time uh, I had to clean those out of my uh, drainage area in the front of the property and uh, get the, a bunch of leaves uh, cleaned out so that uh, the uh, water can travel unimpeded underneath the, the road there. So anyway, got all that done, did some other things around the house, a lot of honeydew things to do as we move into the new year, got that done, and uh, not a bad day. Not a bad day at all uh, for Saturday and Sunday for the two days that we were off. So I'm not complaining. It was okay. Uh, getting everything up into the the attic wasn't too bad, although that tree must weigh 90 pounds. It's it's 10-foot-tall uh, fake tree uh, that uh, got four pieces, and that baby is heavy, really is heavy. And uh, took a couple of us to manhandle it up, got it up the the ladder and into the uh, the attic. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, ladder did not fall out of the attic and hit me in the face like Chevy Chase on Christmas vacation. So that was a good thing. It's almost done that to me before, uh, Russ. It's the first part of it opens and kind of slides out a little bit, and then it stops. Uh, it stops, thank goodness, because if it doesn't. If you're not ready for it, it can catch you right there under, right underneath your nose, across the top of your of my lip is where it would hit me, and it would not be a good thing. Absolutely would not. Uh, it sounds like it would hurt. It would hurt. Yeah, I tell you what, my wife this weekend was uh, she was laid on the bed, and the dog jumped up there. Was really happy to see me. Uh oh, dog's got a long tail, and he and and you know how they say the tail that wags the dog. You're right. Yeah, she smacked him. He he smacked her right across the glasses oh. on the bridge of the nose. Did it break her glasses? No, it didn't break her glasses. It just broke her concentration. And yeah, she was not happy about it. <laughs> yeah that's like having my grandson around you better have your wits about you if eli's around because if he's across the uh the room from you in the living room he may come at you like a guided missile and gets about two about two foot from the couch and it's a a jump at you with his head down and i've 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 caught a couple into the the breastbone <laughs> of his head hitting me at maximum warp speed and get my attention. He, he, he likes to do the spear. Yes, he does. He does. He doesn't realize that pretty soon granddad's going to start calling a personal foul, <laughs> just like in football. 
if he keeps you're doing not that, doing that already. And end up being uh, being ejected from the game, so to speak. But well, you know, he's he doesn't realize it's hurting. Yeah, he just having fun with me and wrestling with me. I'm just trying to teach him now. Well, that's kind of what Shadow was doing. He just wanted to say hi to Daddy when yeah. Daddy got home from being out doing grocery shopping. By the way, how, how did you have to go out to any of the transmitter sites this uh, weekend? Just wondering. No, thank no, you. good. So you didn't have to wrestle with the mud. No mud Again, wrestling no, this weekend. I, good. In fact, I'm wearing the same shoes today that I wore out there and. <laughs> My shoes didn't look near as bad as Randy's did. Oh, man. The boss's shoes, he looked like he stepped in two big old mud holes. I'm just telling you. I'm surprised he still had his shoes on, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, bottom line, it was muddy out in that that transmitter site, you guys, and and antenna site you had to go to. I I really did feel sorry for you. I did not laugh when I heard about it. That tells you I felt sorry for you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It, it, it was not, you know, it, it's never fun to be sitting out in the middle of a field in the mud. Waiting for a tow truck. Yeah. And and I, I want to thank the guys <laughs> over at East End Towing for coming and picking us up and getting us, dragging us out of the mud. Because, I mean, the, the, the station vehicle is a front-wheel drive vehicle, and I tried to do a 12-point turn. Unfortunately, I got to point one. <laughs> And then I got to point two, and by the time I started going for point three, uh, I had already gone over the edge oh, in the front, and all I was doing was sliding forward down. as I was trying to put it in reverse and go backwards, and I just slid right down into the hole. Well, at least when you wrote to me, when I heard about it, people didn't say, as uh, Josh said to me, the couple of weeks ago when he got stuck in the front of his house where he lives josh heffington uh, he said that there was mud and cat litter everywhere and i didn't ask but shane stacks did and he, he says he says i understand the mud but where'd the cat litter come from and you guys don't know. You can use cat litter on ice, yes. but not on mud. I know. That's what I'm thinking. I'm saying, Josh, you don't use kitty litter for for uh, mud. I mean, that's just, you know, that's shovel stuff, man. <laughs> Got to get that shovel. And uh, anyway, he evidently covered yeah, his it's, car. It's, it's mud, one thing to throw gravel kitty. down in front of your vehicle and yeah. try to get a hold of it in the mud with gravel. Yeah. But not kitty litter. That stuff is way too small, number one, and it's not going to soak up enough of the water to make a bit of difference in a mud hole. I would be. I got to. I wish I could have seen a picture of that. <laughs> it must have been nasty looking. But he got his car out of the front yard. But he, I mean, we had what about seven inches of rain over those two weeks, and. I saw where we brought uh, we we broke the record for rainfall in 2018. I bet you it happened in the last two months. What do you think? The last two weeks. Yeah, it poured down here. So the next time we got to worry about rain, there's going to be a little bit on Wednesday. There's going to be then more coming up here a week from Wednesday. They say that may be a half an inch, but that ain't nothing like the two and a half and five and a half inches that we got on some of those days. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, that was incredible, absolutely incredible. Biblical stuff, no attic, as I like to say it. 
They were sold out of gopher wood at Home Depot. What can I say? All right, we got to get let's get a break in early. When we come back, President made a couple of big announcements today. One, he's given a national address, uh, and uh, that will happen tomorrow night. And then on Thursday, he's going to be down by McAllen, Texas, uh, at the border, and we'll talk about that as well. Then I've I've got some new sound from my favorite new congresswoman. And if you've not been listening to my show, then you know who my favorite new Congress. I mean, I like this lady better than I like Pelosi just because of some of the stuff she comes up with. Now, uh, we've got uh, Ocasio-Cortez going to be talking. Let me just, just let me tell you what, uh, what she does, all right? She's going to talk to you about that she admits, all right, she's the one that has been yelling for Medicare for all. She admits she has no plan of how to pay for it. I'll let you hear what you got to hear what she says. Unbelievable here on the Dave Ellswick show. Back with you, Dave Ellswick show. By the way, on this date, Brad's drink, uh, a soda, was named its current name. Uh, That was on uh, this day back in. Trying to think, uh, back in the early 1900s, it seems to me, is when it happened. When, when was it? Uh, 1902. Do you know what they renamed Brad's drink there, uh, Mr. Uh, Russ? Dr. Pepper? Nope. Pepsi. Brad Brad's drink became... Pepsi-Cola on this day in 1903. So if you can find a bottle that says Brad's drink on it, I got to think that you got yourself quite the collectible there. At least I would think so. All right, so let's talk about what the president's going to be doing. First of all, I got to ask Russ a question. Are we carrying the president's speech tomorrow night? I don't know yet. You're not sure? Okay. Well, I can do it. I just... Don't know that I really want to stick around here until 8 p.m. <laughs> well, that's it's going to be a, an address from the Oval Office. I like office. you and all, Dave, but man. I know. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Yeah. I don't do too many 12-hour days anymore. Ask uh, Zach if he wants to come in. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, ask Zach to come in about 7.30, and he'll be out of here by 9 at the, at the latest. Uh, with federal government shut down in its 17th day, President Trump set to deliver a primetime address to the nation tomorrow night. Uh, In a tweet today, he says, I'm pleased to inform you that I will address the nation on the humanitarian and national security crisis on our southern border Tuesday night at 9 Eastern, which is 8 Central. According to the New York Times, the White House has officially made the request to the networks to interrupt their primetime schedules. Times reporter Michael Greinbaum initially reported that networks were hesitant because of skepticism about handing over airwaves for a political statement. Wait a second. A political statement? Uh, seems like to me this is uh, be something very uh, uh, serious since we're talking about the president's going to talk about uh, building a wall, but he's also going to talk about how bad things are on the southern border, it seems like to me that's much more than, quote, a political statement. Now, if the Congress wanted to make a primetime speech and wanted to talk about the borders, that would be a political statement. 
But when it's the commander-in-chief and the leader of the biggest nation in the free world, the most powerful nation in the free world, that's not a political statement at that point. So uh, word coming out now that uh, Jennifer Jacobs of Bloomberg News saying that the networks have agreed to air Trump's primetime Oval Office address. Additionally, Trump will be traveling to the southern border on uh, Thursday. That's according to uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. And by the way, I've put in a request uh, for uh, Sarah to join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show here in the near future. Talk a little bit with people back here in Arkansas since she got such deep roots around here. President uh, at real Donald Trump will travel to the southern border Thursday to meet with those on the front lines of the national security and humanitarian crisis. More details to be announced soon. Sarah Sanders at press secretary updates. CNN has told political it will carry Trump's address now. Now, my question is, if CNN's going to carry it, are they going to carry the president speaking or are they going to have somebody else, uh, you know, do like a joke speaking of it and have like uh, Lemon uh, talking over the president while he gives his speech? Well, we'll find out, I guess. Uh, the other ones are ready to go. CNN now says they'll take Trump's speech. Still waiting on other networks, says Michael Calderon. Uh, but what we're hearing from Bloomberg is that all the others are in, ready to go. Now, as far as the uh, trip to uh, the border, uh, the president, according to Fox News, has announced that he'll address the nation on Tuesday night before traveling later in the week to the U.S.-Mexico border as he seeks to highlight border security and presses the Democrats for wall funding amid the protractive standoff that triggered a partial government shutdown now stretching into its 17th day. Uh, Trump plans to address the nation from the Oval Office, uh, Oval Office, Oval Office, in a first. Sure you don't need to get on Medicare now. Yeah, I do. In a first for his presidency, his travel plans to the border were revealed early in the week by Sarah Sanders. And then a law enforcement source told Fox News that Trump plans to visit the border by McAllen, Texas. The uh, president's visit will come on what is likely to be the 20th day of the partial government shutdown. Numerous government agencies first ran out of funding on December 22nd as Democrats vowed to block Trump's requested $5.7 billion to build the border wall. And Trump insisted on the money. Last week, House Democrats passed a bill to fund the Department of Homeland Security, which oversees construction of the wall at current levels through February 8th, with $1.3 billion for border security, a figure far less than Trump requested. Senate Republicans so far have not taken it up. The president told congressional Democratic leaders during a meeting on Friday that he was willing to keep the government shut down for as long as necessary possibly months or even years, in order to get the funding he wants. After a weekend filled with meetings uh, about the shutdown, the president moved to call for a steel wall rather than a concrete barrier because the Democrats were using a concrete barrier as being a problem. And the president says, that's okay. We've got steel companies again here in the United States, so we'll use American steel. 
says they don't like concrete, so we'll give them steel, Trump told reporters. But Democrats do not appear moved by the president's message. So that's the latest on that. In fact, I think I got something on the president um, on the on the on the wall. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't download that one. We'll have to build a steel wall because we have steel companies again because the com- the economy is very good," said the president. So I could play that so you could hear him say it, but. I think that you'll take my word for that. He did say that. Now, I'm holding on to Cortez for the next next half hour. She will talk about what she feels about near full employment under Trump. You won't believe what this woman says. And I have I I just have some stuff that I want to bring to the forefront of it. I want her to talk about is she trying to create uh, the United States into another Venezuela? Uh, that she has no plan to pay for Medicare for all and uh, talks about what it's like to often get her facts wrong and why that's not the same thing as the president getting a, a fact wrong. So we got all that to talk about in the next half hour. Uh, then I have this uh, Democrat congressperson that is struggles to explain why Democrats call a border wall immoral. We talked about that several times last week. How can you call something immoral when it's there to protect, um, you know, what's behind it? I don't call that immoral. I I call that very moral. And um, so it would be interesting to see. Now, you know, the Berlin Wall was holding people in against their, well, their uh, their will so on that you could call you could make an argument for the immorality of that wall uh, but if you got a wall around your or a fence or whatever a barrier of some type around your home and it's to protect your home you know from the walking dead or whatever uh, bottom line that's not immoral that's the moral thing uh, to do so uh, we'll talk about uh, what uh, Cortez is saying here Julian Castro I'm going to play one piece from him we'll try to get it in if not I'll have to wait until Robert uh, Steinbach shows up in in the 3 o'clock hour this guy says I support the top 1% paying up to 90% of all the money that they make to fund Medicare for all the top one percent needs to pay 90 percent to pay for medicare for all the question is even if you charge them 90 percent will it be enough money to pay for medicare uh, for all but doggone it got to get those rich people they're immoral man they need to pay pay for the wall or not the wall but for medicare for all so um that's a good question. Do they become moral people then because the government stole their money to pay for a program that not the majority of Americans don't want? We've got Adam Smith saying that there's no evidence whatsoever, none, zero, nada, zilch, that the wall will enhance border security. 
And then we'll talk about what the president has to say. Southern border is a dangerous, horrible disaster. He'll talk a little bit about that. And then he'll also talk about it's a national security issue. It's not about talking about games. But he's going to speak to the nation tomorrow night. President is 8 o'clock, our time, from the Oval Office. So we'll carry it here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Be ready on Wednesday to talk about it because we'll want to talk about what he has to say. We might even have to play back part of the speech if it's not overly long. If it's not really long, we might be able to get it in. So for you who don't get to hear it on Tuesday night can hear it on Wednesday. Uh, Of course, he didn't do it tonight because it's the NCAA National Championship game and uh, might be a difficulty in getting that on the air. All right, a break and your news. She moved back to the Bronx after graduating college and spent the next few years working as a community organizer and advocate for children's literacy. In May of 2017, the one-bedroom apartment she shares with her boyfriend became her makeshift campaign headquarters as she launched a seemingly improbable run for Congress. She was working as a waitress and bartender at the time. Like many members of her generation, she says she had student loans to pay and no health insurance. I really understood the frustration that working people had across the political spectrum. You know, when anybody is saying the economy is going great, uh, we are at record levels, there's a frustration that says, well, the economy is good for who? I mean, unemployment is at record lows. I don't think that that tells the whole story. When you can't provide for your kids working a full-time job, working two full-time jobs, when you can't have health care, that is not dignified. It's not dignified. Don't you just love her? Don't you love her? Let's talk about him. Can we play that one more time? Let's play that one more time. Go. She moved back to the Bronx after graduating college and spent the next few years working as a community organizer and advocate for children's literacy. In May of 2017, the one-bedroom apartment she shares with her boyfriend became her makeshift campaign headquarters as she launched a seemingly improbable run for Congress. She was working as a waitress and bartender at the time. Like many members of her generation, she says she had student loans to pay and no health insurance. I really understood the frustration that working people had across the political spectrum. You know, when anybody is saying the economy is going great, uh, we are at record levels, there's a frustration that says, well, the economy is good for who? I mean, unemployment is at record lows. I don't think that that tells the whole story. When you can't provide for your kids working a full-time job, working two full-time jobs, when you can't have health care, that, that is not dignified. All right, there you go. When you can't have health care, that's not dignified. Maybe if the federal government didn't have to take so much of our money for a whole lot of programs that don't need to even exist. And please don't say, well, they take so much money for defense. Defense plays a, a much smaller part of the federal budget than a lot of other things do, like welfare and Medicare and, of course, Social Security. 
but you do have money coming in on Social Security and on Medicare because people who are working are paying that. And they're being told, yeah, you're paying for it right now because when you get to be a certain age, you'll be able to have that money from the people who are working then. I mean, it's not like they're saving the money. It's not like uh, they just used the money for what they said they were going to use it for. They've used it for a whole lot of other things and put IOUs back into the uh, Treasury. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, everybody should be working. And guess what? Everybody would have more money to spend of their own if the federal government wasn't taking that money away from them. Here's what you could do. Figure out what the average, what we we should pay for health insurance. And then write it off of people's taxes and give it back to them uh, in, in uh, how much you're paying in your taxes so that, you know, you're revenue neutral as far as that's concerned. Don't hear them ever talking about that, do you? No, you don't. You don't. But Cortez thinks that we should have Medicare for all. Let me give you an idea about how much that's going to cost. They said probably uh, some initial figures that I've seen, $15 trillion over about nine years. And uh, if you ask Cortez about uh, how much, uh, Medicare for all it costs. She'll tell you she doesn't know. I mean, for instance, here's her answer to that. This is cut number three. How we're going to pay for this space force. No one asked how we paid for a $2 trillion tax cut. We only ask how we pay for it on issues of housing, health care, and education. How do we pay for it? With the same exact mechanisms that we pay for military increases, for the space force, for all of these uh, ambitious policies. There are Democrats, obviously, who are worried about your effect on the party. Democratic Senator Chris Coons said about left-leaning Democrats, if the next two years is just a race to offer increasingly unrealistic proposals, it'll be difficult for us to make a credible case we should be allowed to govern again. What makes it unrealistic? How to pay for it. We pay more per capita in health care and education for lower outcomes than many other nations. And so for me, what's unrealistic is is what we're living in right now there you go there you go space uh space force how do you we didn't ask how, how we're going to pay for that sure we did they're gonna they're gonna move it uh in the um the military budget some things will be cut that's a given uh how about you know about uh, how do we pay for some of these other things a uh, two trillion dollar tax cut you didn't see all of the things that the uh were said from the uh, the different uh, areas of the federal government how much how that would affect things and we'd have money coming from here money coming from there and yeah we'd still have to come up with money but nothing like 15 trillion dollars like she's talking about i mean this woman says hey just trust me she sounds like a used car salesman a lot of times just trust me. how much does car cost Oh, don't worry. Uh, just trust me. You'll be able to afford it. Okay. Sure. Uh-huh. I don't think I'd 
fall for that. Uh, then she uh, was asked about, about uh, who was it, Aunt Cooper Anderson that was talking to her, uh, on whether her socialist policies would create another Venezuela and this is what she had to say. But President Trump rarely missed a chance to suggest that all Democrats were socialists who'd lead the country to ruin. Venezuela. Venezuela. How does that sound? You like Venezuela? When people hear the word socialism, they think Soviet Union, Cuba, Venezuela. Is that what you have in mind? Of course not. Well, we have in mind, uh, and what of my and my policies most closely re- resemble what we see in the UK, in Norway, in Finland, in Sweden. Ask them how they're doing over there. They'll not say they're doing well. Ask them who gets that money, and uh, that's not going to play with your Democratic compatriots, Cortez, because they cut that money from people uh, that um, are not their citizens. What are you going? You know. The woman just says stuff to be saying stuff, and and that's normal, and that's when she's really often getting the facts wrong, and she says, but hey, the president lies all the time, and that, and I'm different than the president. Here's cut number four. Her views, her policy positions are actually downright scary. She's been accused of being dishonest about the true cost of her proposals and the tax burden they would impose on the middle class. She's also been criticized for making factual mistakes. One of the criticisms of you is that your math is fuzzy. The Washington Post recently awarded you four Pinocchios for uh, misstating some statistics about Pentagon spending. If people want to really blow up one figure here or one word there, I I would argue that they're missing the forest for the trees. Yeah, huh? I think that deflect, there's a lot of deflect. people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. But being factually correct is important. It's absolutely important. And whenever I make a mistake, I say, okay, this was clumsy. And then I restate what my point was. Um, but it's, it's not the same thing as the president lying about immigrants. It's not the same thing at all. I'm speechless about this woman, which makes my makes it makes it so much so easy to challenge her on everything because she doesn't care about being truthful. Well, if somebody comes back and proves to me that I was false on that, then I say, yeah, I made a mistake as though we're supposed to just blow it off then. Yeah, just blow it off. What's the big deal? This is a congresswoman. She's just a kid. She's, what, 29? Is that how old she is? She talks like she's 15. Doesn't have a clue about what's going on with life. Doesn't have a clue. Amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. And then during the, the 60 Minutes thing, she also said that uh, Trump has given a voice for racism, which makes him a racist. Uh, the Democrats have compromised too much. And that uh, Cortez apologized to Donald Jr. for threatening him with subpoena power, which, by the way, could have got her in serious, serious trouble for making those types of uh, of challenges to uh, Donald Jr. So she uh, took back those words. 
all in all, shows you exactly what the left, the really hardcore left, is uh, thinking out there. She's speaking for a lot of people uh, uh, in Congress. All right, we got 14 minutes uh, till 3. Let's get a break in and come back. We'll hear what uh, the president is saying about the wall and uh, Julian Castro. We got to play that for you as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we're back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's finish up this first hour before Robert Steinbach joins us. Talk about what the president is saying. He talked about the southern border. As I told you earlier in the show, uh, the president is to give a national address uh, tomorrow evening, 8 o'clock our time, from the Oval Office. Uh, Russ has set things up so that we will carry this live on the air tomorrow night. You'll be able to listen to it right here at 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. And uh, he'll be talking about what the, the southern border is all about. Thursday, he's going all the way down to McAllen, Texas, going to appear um, there with a lot of uh, Border Patrol people and others who will be also talking about what the southern border is like. And here's what the president in Cut 8 had to say about it. Because I found the Democrats really want to do something. So we're at 5.6, if you look at it, $5.6 billion. But we are able to also, in addition to that, because what we want to do has to be done properly, and we're negotiating very tough prices, very, very tough, because you heard much higher numbers. Those higher numbers were very much a misnomer. You heard 20 and 25 billion in DACA. What happened is when a judge incredibly, because it was an incredibly, I will say wrong decision. In fact, President Obama, when he signed the DACA with the executive order, made a statement to the effect, this isn't going to work. And some judge from the Ninth Circuit, here we go again, upheld it. And then it was upheld by the Ninth Circuit appellate. And now it's going before the United States Supreme Court. And hopefully that will be properly adjudicated because if it is, uh, talks will begin on larger immigration matters having to do with DACA, having to do with other things. So uh, that is taking place. We may add a few things onto our discussions over the weekend. But I'm going to ask Mike Pence, and then I'll have Leader McCarthy say a few words, and uh, we'll take a couple of questions. But we're very proud of the uh, jobs and the job numbers. That was incredible. And I think I'll be even more proud if we can have great border security for the first time in really the history of our country. The southern border is a dangerous, horrible disaster. We've done a great job. But you can't really do the kind of job we have to do unless you have a major powerful barrier. And that's what we're going to have to have. All right. So expect to hear more of that tomorrow night during the president's uh, national address starting at 8 o'clock. And you'll hear it right here at 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. Wednesday, we'll, of course, talk about it on my show and then on Thursday, the president's heading down to the south, to the border at McAllen, Texas, uh, to talk to the folks down there and to the nation as well. So the, the president wanted to go on and talk about the wall and said, look, we're not playing games here. This is, this is really, really serious. And I said, 
One of the things that happens there is human traffickers. Maybe that's the worst of all. Where you'll have traffickers having three and four women with tape on their mouths and tied up, sitting in the back of a van or a car, and they'll drive that van or the car not through a port of entry where we have very talented people that look for every little morsel of drugs or even people or whatever they're looking for. They're not going to go there. They get off the road and they drive out into the desert and they come on, they make a left turn. Usually it's a left, not a right. Most of them come out because in San Diego and in areas of California, we just finished brand new walls, beautiful walls, steel walls. And they wanted them badly. They were asking us. That's why we did it there. I said, let's not do it in California. California always complains through their great governors. They're always complaining. I said, let's not do it. Let the governor ask us. But we did it anyway because they really needed it. They were having tremendous problems. So we built a brand new wall in San Diego, and it's working really well. You should go and look at it. It's amazing. It's incredible how well it works. But these coyotes and these human traffickers, they make a right turn before they get to the port of entry. They go as far as the wall is or as far as the barricade is. And then they make a left, welcome to the United States. And what they do with usually the women, sometimes children, that they're trafficking with and in, you don't want to know about. So the only way you're going to stop that is by having a solid steel structure or concrete structure. Whether it's a wall or some form of very powerful steel. Now, the steel is actually more expensive than the concrete. But I think we're probably talking about steel because I really feel the other side feels better about it. And I can understand what they're saying. It is more expensive. We mentioned the price that we want $5.6 billion very strongly. Because numbers are thrown around, 1.6, 2.1, 2.5. This is national security we're talking about. We're not talking about games. We're talking about national security. This should have been done by all of the presidents that preceded me, and they all know it. Some of them have told me that we should have done it. So we're not playing games. We have to do it. And just remember human traffickers. Remember drugs. The drugs are pouring into this country. They don't go through the ports of entry. When they do, they sometimes get caught. When we finish, and the Democrats do want this, they want ports of entry strengthened, and I want to do that too. In fact, we have it down. It's about $400 million. And we can have the best equipment in the world. Now what they'll do, if we have the protection and we have strong ports of entry with this incredible drug-finding equipment, I don't know what they're going to do, because they're not coming in through past the steel gates or the steel walls, or the concrete walls, depending on what's happening, because we are meeting this weekend. All right, so there you got what the president said he wants to do. We need a barrier. And we need, you know, to strengthen the port of entries. They want to do both. The other, the port of entry, $400 million for that. And uh, 
Like you said, we don't know what they're going to do from there. Here's here's the thing you'll have to pay attention to, and that is graft and corruption. Because they'll start taking the the easiest way they can possibly take the, the drug cartels, and they'll start offering people huge amounts of money uh, to look the other way. Don't, don't be surprised when that begins to happen. Do we have time to play... Uh, Julian Castro's uh, piece, number six. Is it time for that? Yeah, we can get in. Well, programs are one of the questions you're going to face if you run is how you're going to pay for them. I want to show you something the newest, uh, youngest member of Congress right now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, said that's going to air on 60 Minutes tonight about how to pay for things. You look at our tax rates back in the 60s, and when you have a progressive tax rate system, your tax rate, you know, let's say from zero to $75,000 may be 10% or 15%, etc. But once you get to like the tippy tops, uh, on your 10 millionth dollar, uh, sometimes you see tax rates as high as 60 or 70%. Can you support a tax increase like that once you hit $10 million, 60 70%? Oh, I, I can support uh, folks at the top paying their fair share. As you know, George, uh, there was a time in this country where the top marginal tax rate was over 90%. Even during Reagan's era uh, in the 1980s, it was around 50%. Uh, so do I support, in order to have something like Medicare for All, that we ask uh, folks that are in the top 0.05% or 0.5% or, or the top 1% to pay more, and also uh, that we get more serious about making sure that corporations pay their fair, short, their fair share, and that we're smart about understanding how instead of folks having to pay sky-high premiums uh, to uh, companies that are seeking a profit to deliver health care, that we can have a better system where people can get good health care uh, and have peace of mind, uh, even if that means that we rearrange where those dollars go, yeah, I support that. And you know what? During this campaign, if I run, I'm going to be very upfront with the American people on how we would do that, because I think that they're owed that, but it is worth it. It is worth it in this country for us to do that. All right, you're hearing more about what uh, Democrats want that want to be president. We'll talk about it when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm sorry, I'm tangled up in my cord. T-M-I. Too much information, I won't wear my head. I'm not going to wear my headphones. I can't hear what you're telling me. Okay, I can't hear you right now. Don't have my headphones on. It somehow got tied up in the wheel of this frickin' chair again. And so I can pull it up to about neck high, and I'm not going to sit here like this. That could be fun to watch you do the show like that, Dave. (laughs) I'm glad the cameras aren't working yet. I look really dumb right now, I'm just saying. Anyway, there's people who are listening to the show say, Ellswick, you you sound dumb every day with the stuff that you talk about, and well, you want to see the country be, but I, I think I'm being smart about where we want the country to be. All right, so we, we ended up in the last uh, hour talking about Julian uh, Castro, guy who used to be, well, he, he held uh, a position under Obama. Let me give you the exact name. It was like housing, urban development or something like that. It was that, that kind of a 
of a uh, position. Yeah. I'm glad you're and clarifying this because I sure enough thought he came out of Cuba. Yeah, no, not that Castro. Uh, he uh, at one time was, and here we go, the uh, uh, served as the 16th United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. So I was correct. I was just off the top of my head. Uh, he served under uh, President Obama from 2014 to 2017. He was the youngest to hold that position. And then uh, after he was done, Ben Carson came in and took over under uh, under Trump. So he's thinking about running for president, Julian Castro. And again, I want, you to, I want to go back, and they uh, talked about what Cortez said, dealing with uh, Medicare for all and about how they're going to pay for it and how much the tax rate would have to go up for uh, – you know, the the super rich. Now, the super rich uh, that you're talking about, if we went, and they always want to refer to the 60s. If you went by the 60s, uh, a person today to be considered super rich would have to be only making, uh, if you're a married couple, 1.5 mil. Uh, if you're a single person, $200,000. And I know you say, well, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. But the percentage of people making that type of money now and making it back in the 60s is significant. I think uh, I I was talking to you about that, Russ, uh, here uh, when we were in the break. And the people who were being taxed at that 91 percentile uh, was 0.00235. Now it's would be 13%. 13% of the, quote, uber-rich, uh, according to the, the left, uh, would be are, are right now paying 38% of the taxes. Yeah, you heard that right. That's, that's exactly. I'd like to see what that would have been back in the 1960s reverse and see how much this was worth. I mean, I, I freaked out. Uh, Russ, when I told him what was a twenty-four thousand and change, you'd have to make be making a hundred and ninety thousand dollars now. That's how much the dollar has gone down in value. You know, not up in value, down in value because uh, of inflation. A hundred, you take a hundred ninety thousand dollars of today's money to make twenty-four thousand change that amount back in the 60s so just do the math do not look it's like the old saying goes figures don't lie but liars figure all right just think about that a little bit it makes sense because when you got to listen to cortez you got to listen to somebody like uh like castro let's play cut number six for everybody again you laid out a lot of programs there. One of the questions you're going to face if you run is how you're going to pay for them. Why don't you have something the newest, uh, youngest member of Congress right now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, said that's going to air on 60 Minutes tonight about how to pay for things. You look at our tax rates back in the 60s, and when you have a progressive tax rate system, your tax rate, you know, let's say from zero to $75,000 may be 10% or 15%, etc. But once you get to, like, the tippy tops. Uh, on your 10 millionth dollar, uh, sometimes you see tax rates as high as 60 or 70 percent. 
Can you support a tax increase like that once you hit $10 million, 60 70%? Oh, I, I can support uh, folks at the top paying their fair share. As you know, George, uh, there was a time in this country where the top marginal tax rate was over 90%. Even during Reagan's era uh, in the 1980s, it was around 50%. Uh, so do I support, in order to have something like Medicare for All, that we ask uh, folks that are in the top 0.05% or 0.5% or, or the top 1% to pay more, and also uh, that we get more serious about making sure that corporations pay their fair, their fair share and that we're smart about understanding how instead of folks having to pay sky-high premiums uh, to uh, companies that are seeking a profit to deliver health care, that we can have a better system where people can get good health care uh, and have peace of mind, uh, even if that means that we rearrange where those dollars go, yeah, I support that. And you know what? During this campaign, if I run, I'm going to be very upfront with the American people on how we would do that, because I think that they're owed that. But it is worth it. It is worth it in this country for us to do that. Wow. You're hearing the words of a true socialist there. You know, we can get the money. I just have to figure out where that money's going to come from. Blah, 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 blah. And then, well, we get the money, and then we got to determine where the money goes to. And you're supposed to, we're supposed to trust our betters in Washington, D.C., they know the best, they know the right way to do it, and they. They can do socialism that's failed uh, everywhere that it's ever been. And uh, the only reason it's failed all these times is because it just wasn't done right. I mean, that that's the key. It wasn't done right. And because it wasn't done right, we can do better. Yeah, we can. We can do better. And they talk about. You know, if you do it like they do in Sweden, it'll be so much better. And yet you see what's going on in Sweden and they're slowly taking their whole socialist government and the way that they're they're doing things and uh, literally pulling it apart piece by piece so they can make things happen. It's amazing to me that uh, they say the things they do and the media is you can't tell me they're not behind most of these people because they don't they're either behind them or they're so stupid they don't know the right questions to ask. Explain this, explain that. Of course, with Cortez, she don't explain anything. You're just supposed to take it as, you know, from uh, from her mouth to your ear. I mean, that's coming down uh, from Mount Olympus. That's the gods talking to you and telling you if you if you do it the way the gods say, uh, and that's a small g, by the way, then uh, everything's going to be fine. We won't be Venezuela. We won't be uh, Russia. We won't be, uh, you know, Cuba. Uh, we won't be Central America. Oh, no, we're going to be, uh, you know, Sweden that's on their way to being like Central America. Or we're going to be have a health care system like uh, the U.K., and I can bring people that lived in the U.K. here on this show, and they'll tell you what their medical uh, care was like. And people bring people in from uh, Canada to tell you that uh, it's not what you keep hearing uh, from the politicians. 
they, they can they can read it off to you. They can give it to you, you know, chapter and verse if you want it. I guess I should get some of my those folks in and let them talk to you about it. It's failing in all of these places because it's just like Margaret Thatcher said many years ago during the 80s that the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money. And when you run out of other people's money, the money only goes so far. And then, you know, the people who have, the people who are, quote, the elite, that's why the people that are making the rules always make sure they don't apply to them. Uh, they know that they're going to be fine. They're, they're an elite. They're really important. They need to be taken great care of so that they can hand down more rules and regulations for the rest of us that we have to live by. Just saying. I'm just saying. That's the way it works. And you of us who are in the middle class and and below, we're going to take the brunt of it. We're going to take the beating. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take the beating uh, as this all happens. If you think that the the way that you can make all of this work is that you have to make a people who have been successful in our country pay more, uh, you're man, you're deluded. That's all. I, that's the best that I can offer you. You are deluded, and the more that it's going to be uh, decided by politicians, the worse it will get instead of letting the market determine a lot of this stuff. Now, I'm, I'll be the first one that's going to admit to you that if you turn uh, you know, medical care back to the open market, it, it will take time to, to reach an equilibrium again uh, for it to find um, you know, a place where it's, it's, uh, you know, the water can find where it should be at the depth that it should be at. It will take some time, and, 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 and while it does that, it would be uncomfortable. But it's, it's better than the kind of uncomfort that we have right now as the federal government continues to dinker and mess around with stuff and just make it worse and worse and worse. I think everybody that I would talk to on the air, for the most part, would tell me that their health care hasn't gotten better over the last, I don't know, eight years. It's gotten worse and continues to get uh, to get worse. You know, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about taxes. I know that this is, you know, not the real sexy stuff to talk about. Like we, you know, try to keep everybody all excited about, uh, you know, let's talk about this topic or that topic because anybody who doesn't even have a brain can have an opinion on it. But let's talk about reality a little bit. Talk about reality. I was talking to somebody about that today. They asked me, Dave, what do you think our country's going to be? Do you, do you think that, you know, we're on a downward spiral? And I said, absolutely, we're, we're, on, we're on a downward spiral. I don't know, you know, if I, if, if I were lucky enough, if God would bless me enough with another 50 or 60 years, the country that I would probably see would definitely not have any kind of semblance to what it was back in the, the, the 40s, 50s, and into the 60s. 
the freedoms that we had there. Because right now, Americans are willing to give up their freedoms left and right. Say, sure, you can have that information on me. Don't worry about it. Spy on me all you want. I mean, they do this. They do that all the time. And there's, you know, politicians that think that that's okay as well. So just just know the more freedoms that we give up, few of those freedoms are going to come back unless you're willing to fight for them. All right, Dave Ellswick Show. Take a break. Come back. I'll give you some uh, some a reality check about uh, when we're talking about taxation and uh, how how the rich used to pay so much more money uh, than they do now. Well, you find out that's not right when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. About 25 minutes after uh, 3 on this Monday on the Dave Ellswick Show. Did you know there's uh, 567 different ways to claim your Social Security benefits? 2,728 rules in the Social Security Handbook. And to make matters worse, the Social Security Administration is actually forbidden to offer you any personalized service. So you're totally on your own. In fact, try to get anything out of the Social Security people. I'm dealing with this right now. Uh, there's some questions that I was asked to answer. I answered them. I uh, sent an email back to the same uh, no email address that I needed uh, that I had sent my answers asking them to let me know if they had gotten my answer no answer <laughs> I got no answer from them I got a, a thing saying call us at a certain time I did they had gotten the answer they just didn't tell me they had gotten the answer and then they they said send this and this and then we're going to send you some numbers uh, for your Medicare to get it started well I sent them the numbers I haven't heard another word from them so you, you just sit here in limbo can't, they can't uh, be required to give you all this stuff. It's no wonder why as much as $10 billion in benefits go unclaimed every year. You can learn how you could wring every nickel out of your Social Security benefits in an up-to-date guide to Social Security. Get it from David Lucas, host of the David Lucas Show that you hear right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Get your free guide to Social Security. Be one of the first 10 callers right now at 501 501- Six five three sixty six ninety. That way, you're not going to leave thousands of dollars Social Security retirement money on the table. Get back every nickel that's rightfully yours. Call five zero one six five three sixty six ninety or visit davidlucasfinancial dot com. So let's talk about you know back in the good old days, they really they taxed the rich out of their pants. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. The 1950s were no golden age, as a lot of people like to think of them. The U.S. economy grew by an average of 3.4% a year between 1948 and 2007. Uh, How did the 50s do in comparison? Well, if you measure from 50 to 59, did a bit better, did 4.2%. If you measure the decade from 51 to 60, it grew at 3.6, a bit above average. The period saw three recessions, July 53, May 54, August 57, April 58, and April 60 to February 61. Overall, pretty good period for the economy, especially for folks who remembered well the Great Depression. Anything would have been better than the Great Depression. But also recall that John F. Kennedy's 1960 presidential campaign said that he would, quote, get this country moving again, unquote. 
That's a slogan a politician would use after a decade of stagnation, not hypergrowth. Of uh, course, you'll remember, if you know your history, that JFK did what? He sharply cut taxes and the economy boomed. Remember, a rising tide, tide raises all boats. Okay? Real tax rates were a lot lower during that time. Uh, you got people that are out there that say, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to go back to 90% for those upper earners and things of that nature. Even those folks concede that, quote, not many people paid that much. And during those years, only three baseball players, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, Willie Mays, got there. Now, just about every baseball player, every football player, every pro basketball player is in the upper brackets. Indeed, the top effective tax rate was probably probably at that time more in the area of 50 to 60 percent because the tax code was full of loopholes at that time, just full of loopholes. But those 50s tax rates actually generated less tax revenue than the subsequent periods of lower rates. From 1950 to 63, income tax revenue averaged 7.5% of GDP. That's less than in the Reagan years when rates were being slashed again after Kennedy. That would suggest that rates are right around the Laffer curve equilibrium point in the current economy. The post-war U.S. economy was in an incredibly strong international position. With globalism today, that's not the way it is. Those countries that got beat into the dirt, the United States helped them build their economies back again. Why did we help them build their back again? We needed customers. So we helped, uh, we helped their economies, and we got customers back. But now we've got rivals more than we have customers at times. So keep that in mind. Even economists who argue for higher tax rates don't want to go back to the 50s. New York Times said that. Hey, don't forget that our uh, PI Roofing and Home Solutions are announcing that they've acquired Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services. And if you've been a a customer of Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services, uh, rest assured that PI Roofing and their great team uh, plans to continue providing the highest quality gutter cleaning uh, to their customers at a great value to you. And that uh, with that purchase by PI Roofing Home Solutions, if you're a customer of Tom- Tommy's, you can expect to get more because PI is just not a uh, a gutter cleaning service. They also, also offer the comprehensive roofing and home repair expertise. I'm probably going to have to give them a call, get somebody over to repair the hole that my son-in-law put in the roof of my garage yesterday, putting up. The present, uh, the Christmas stuff back up, not paying attention where he was walking at. Or better yet, lights went out, couldn't see. And instead of standing still and getting somebody's attention saying he couldn't see, uh, he started moving around and missed one of the beams and went through the ceiling. Uh, We're going to get that fixed, so I'll probably use PI roofing for that. Because they've got the uh, you know their home repair expertise as well. Learn more now. Just go to piroofing.com uh, and you'll get all the information you need there. A little later on, I'll tell you what's going on with RD. You know, I'm getting a new motor put in my my car and got contacted today, and it's done. It took them all of one week 
to get that baby fixed. And uh, I'm very, very happy with what they, they have done. So I was talking about this deal, talking about the uh, income taxes, talking about how much money people were making and, and things of, of, of that nature, uh, nature. And I gave you, you know, a couple of points, one being that, uh, you know, the 1950s weren't the golden age, as everybody likes to think that it was. Remember that at the end of the 50s, uh, the slogan uh, that was the biggest at that time was John F. Kennedy's, which is uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, and that uh, he promised to get the country moving again. And you don't say that unless you're in stagnation. And JFK sharply cut taxes at that time, and the economy boomed. Right. Uh, the real tax rates were a lot lower than what are saying uh, people are are hearing about because they don't talk about tax shelters and they don't talk about you know how you could uh, you know affect your tax rate and instead of 90% uh you know you're you're looking at uh, though they were higher than our effective 30% high tax rate now they still were still in the 50 percentile and on top of that all of those uh lower uh, those higher taxes uh brought in lower uh, you know, money uh, to the government so from fifty-one to sixty-three. Uh, the revenues, as a percentage of GDP, was seven point seven percent. In ninety-seven to o two, it was nine point four percent, and it was a lot lower then. And if mm-hmm. you look at even now, it would be even higher. The uh, post-war U.S. economy was in an incredibly strong international position. Let me break that down for you. About 65% of everything that was being made, world output of manufacturers in 1950 was done by the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That means there's a lot of jobs, folks. I'm just mm-hmm. telling you, a lot of jobs. Uh, even economists who argue for higher tax rates don't want to go back to the 50s. They'll even admit they don't want to go back to the 50s unless you're uh, Cortez. Uh, And uh, you had uh, the whole situation that uh, you look at this kind of stuff. Let me just read one little paragraph for you. An ultra-high tax rate on an initially small slice of the population like Obama's Buffett rule imposed could neither raise very much revenue nor do anything to create jobs. Look at what just happened in Great Britain. Their Independent Fiscal Oversight Commission, which reviews all of the budgetary assumptions, just ruled that cutting the top rate of tax from 50 to 45 was revenue neutral, implying the revenue maximizing rate is in that range. The Brits don't have state income taxes, which implies by extension that our revenue maximizing federal rate is lower than theirs a whole lot lower than 70, 80, or 90%. You really want to go back to the 50s? Forget about it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. What we need is pro-growth tax reform that will get the country moving again. And then, now, Robert, I want to read a reader's note Yes. Uh, here to uh, AEI. And you're going to laugh when you hear it. I mean... A good socialist. I give them credit. They are a good socialist. We seem to be at the stage of the game 
where it is clear who are the winners and losers and the end of the game is soon. The question should be, how can we keep the game going? My question is, when you can see how one-sided it is, how tilted it is in the direction of the already overprivileged, overprivileged. why on earth would you want to keep the game going? It's a rigged game that benefits a tiny percentage of the population unless you're part of that uppermost 1% to 5%. Notice, everybody else says 1%. This person takes it all the way up to 5%. Right. You're working against your own interest to keep the game going. A better question is, what can we replace this horrific wage slavery economic model with mm. that will benefit the vast majority of the population rather than a tiny slice of it? The right. answer is that... Direct worker ownership of the businesses, where every worker is a part owner of his workplace, getting a share of the profits and able to elect his managers. Does he take a share of the losses? Uh, No, of course not. Okay. Where finally workers have an incentive to work harder. Let's, you know, I listen to this and I'm going to stop right here just to say this. The United States is one of the most productive workforces in the world. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The workforce is still working hard, even though they're getting screwed like this guy thinks they're getting screwed, uh, because they're finally getting something out of their extra effort besides just more fatigue rather than working their guts out to make someone else richer. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a, that sounds like a whole, whole scale socialist or maybe a communist. It is, right? And look, here, here's the point about uh, employees owning part of a business, you ever go to a restaurant, Dave? You see a restaurant open up in Little Rock, and then three months later, it's closed down. Yeah. People are hired to work there, and then when the business closes, of course, they're out of a job, but that's what they're out of. The guy that set up the restaurant put up a bunch of money, and he's out of the money. All of it. All of it. So if you want to share in the profits, you got to share in the losses. And you can do that. That's called starting a business. Yeah. You go out and do your deal. Right. But it's really remarkable how the left is say, I want to share in the profits, not share in the losses. You know what happens then? Nobody opens a business. So I'm going to open a business, and, and most of the upside gets distributed to all of uh, anybody who's involved in it but doesn't take any of the risk, and I eat all the risk. I'll just go work for somebody else. And, of course, the next guy would say that, and the next guy would say that. And you know what is left? The only thing that is left is government. Because there can be no private sector business under that construct. That's what we just heard from our friend that wrote that letter. Exactly. But I I hear people talk like this. I hear Cortez talk like this. I I, I played a piece for you a moment ago by Julian, or Julian, pardon me. Let me pronounce it exactly as he has asked. Julian uh, Castro, who used to be director of Urban, Mm -hmm. and now, I don't know what he's doing, used to be mayor of san antonio and we know how well san antonio is doing mm-hmm. but uh he says that he supports the top one percent paying up to a 90 percent tax rate to fund medicare for all mm-hmm. it's crazy good luck yeah it's crazy good luck. it is it's crazy and what did cortez said well we played her today too because she's a good look little brown shirt out mm-hmm. there trying mm-hmm. to con- convince you of a lot of stuff she made the state uh uh, Cortez says on whether her socialist policies would create another Venezuela. She says, of course not. Of course not. It w- we would be like the U.K. or we would be like uh, Sweden or France. 
right. take a look at how well right. they're all doing. Right. Now you might, and you might want to take a look at how they structure quote their socialism and who it benefits and who it doesn't benefit. And if you don't like benefits for white people, then you're not going to like their brand of socialism. Exactly. At all. And uh, she also, and this was my favorite one, when she said she admits she has no plan to pay for Medicare for all. She says, oh, no, why would they? No one asked us how we paid for the two trillion dollar tax cut. Of course they did. Right. They 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 did a whole group of uh, information studies. Right. That told us, well, you got to cut here. You got to cut there. You got to do this. You got to right. do that. And she was, and then her other thing was, uh, how do you, you know, nobody asked how much the Space Force was going to cost. And right. of course they did, because they only had how much money they had for defense spending, and they took it from that, and they had to decide how much came from other areas of defense spending to get the Space Force up and running. Right. I, I don't understand. This shows me these people aren't ready for the prime time. Uh, no question. It's like it's it's kitty government. Yeah. Make believe. No, I agree. With, I agree with that as well. Uh, let's see who we got here. Okay, Jim is down in Arkadelphia. Let's get with him. Hey, Jim, how are you? Hey, Dave. Hey, Robert. Good to hear you on the boy on the radio, man. I, I like listening to you. Uh, but uh, y'all are talking about employer-owned or employee-owned businesses, and uh, there are several successful models of that. But like you say, they do share in both uh, avenues and aspects of uh, profit and loss. But uh, the businesses are well run. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's a grocery chain that's here in town. I think that's Harps. Uh, oh, yeah, it's Harps. It's employee-owned, and, and they take into consideration everything, every aspect, and they're very successful. And, uh, sure. you know, and another another avenue of franchising and what have you that's employee-owned or fan-based-owned or whatever is the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you know, they, their fan base owns that franchise now. Uh, the family doesn't own it anymore, hasn't for several years. Uh, and then there's a two or three, quite a few trucking companies that are employee-owned. That I mean, it, they're, they're, they're working models, and they, and they work very well, but there again, you have to take into consideration all aspects of things that are, uh, you know, profit and loss, both. Well, you're 100% right. And just to be clear, I would never suggest that there's not a model of employee ownership. Indeed, most companies, when you say management, they also work there, right? The guy that owns the local restaurant is not only a manager, he could be the chef or he runs the cash register. He's there. He's not sitting back just collecting profit. So that is a form of employee ownership. But if you spread employee ownership across all employees, which you most certainly can as well, then the only way economically for that to be viable at any significant level is if if there is some level of employee sharing of losses. Otherwise, the math don't work, as they say. Uh, and so you, could, you can give bonuses to employees on a good profit 
profit uh, year, let's say. Uh, but if you're taking a hard time and they're expecting uh, a high salary, th- you're going to fail. So that's, but there's nothing morally or economically unsound about having employee ownership the same way that we have, uh, we have regular banks and then we have what are these credit unions that are owned by the depositors essentially. Go ahead. Yes, sir. And I was in business for over 25 years. I'm doing okay, but the, about the five or six guys that work for me, they're all multimillionaires. So, you know. I played by the rules in the 80s, and now I need uh, 2017 and 2019 people to change the rules of the 80s so that I can enjoy some of my money. Well, uh, get get ready. There's all the people that seem to be coming on to the Democrat side don't want you to have money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, there you go. We appreciate your call. Thank you much. Jim, i got to get to a break. That's up right now. Let's do that. Uh, let me remind everybody that Sonny's Auto Salvage is your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Why do I say that? Because I use them, and they have been very, very good to this talk show host. All right? No special benefits or anything or that uh, of that name, uh, uh, name. I mean, bottom line, what I'm telling you is what you'd pay as well. I just recently, a couple months ago, put a transmission into my Acadia. Uh, a week ago, my Acadia gave up the ghost on my engine. I'm getting my car back today. Uh, they put an engine in it. It works fantastic. All the pieces like the cruise control and everything else that uh, that it uh, has works perfectly. And it cost me under three grand for an engine, for an engine and all of the of the labor and everything else, plus got the standard warranty on it and whatnot. Sonny's Auto Salvage goes out, uh, gets a totaled uh, vehicle, one that's been in a, in, a, in a wreck, takes the parts off of it, tests them, makes sure that you can buy them then at a reduced price, at least 50% lower than the market ba- ba- uh, amount of an OEM, and saves you a lot of money. I'm going to only tell you, $3,000 is a whole lot cheaper than buying a new car for nearly $46,000. Oh, man. 982-7451 is their number. Talk to RD or his crew at Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. <laughs> All right, we're back. We've got uh, six minutes left. To four, four o'clock already, man. Four o'clock. By the way, did, yes, uh, did the folks uh, from uh, uh, Conduit News get a hold of you? They want to talk to you about... Um, some information that you can help them with uh, going in and getting information I'm, from government officials. I'm always happy, as you know, to talk about the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, as FOIA. I've mentioned many FOIA. times, the FOIA, uh, known by its acronym, uh, as I've mentioned many, many times on your show, Dave, uh, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of laws on the books these days, maybe even more. Um, and I ha- co-authored a book on one of them. That's the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. So uh, while I can't say I have expertise across the board, I might dare say that I have a bit of it on this law. And I'm always happy to talk to citizens of this great state and and anybody, I mean, uh, across the country about the Arkansas FOIA and the, the FOIA in general. In fact, I was talking to my attorney 
just the other day because there was some confusion by others, and I'll just leave it at that for the moment, as to the history of the federal FOIA, uh, and yet uh, the the... These things can be complicated if you don't work in Freedom of Information Act law, uh, but I do. Uh, and so uh, we uh, try to strive to continue to keep transparency uh, in, uh, in uh, government activities, uh, and uh, we... Uh, Try to ensure that government, that attorneys, private attorneys can get attorney's fees when they win. That was the issue I was talking about my, with my attorney. He was seeking attorney's fees and the government attorney was making claims about the federal FOIA that are just inaccurate. And, and my point is simply that it might, it's complicated stuff, and if you don't practice in this area, like many government attorneys don't, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Uh, and so I'm happy to educate the public. I'm happy to educate government attorneys, or I guess are a subset of the public, on how the state and federal FOIA operate generally. It's, uh, it's, my, it's my passion, I might say. All right. I want to talk about the wall here this last couple of moments because the president is giving a speech tomorrow night. We'll carry it live from the Oval Office at 8 o'clock tomorrow night, and he'll be talking about the wall. He's going to travel down to McAllen, uh, Texas on Thursday to meet with border representatives. And, of course, uh, anyway, yeah, I'm sure he'll mention that. I'm sure. Well, I, I didn't w- hear me say that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You'll be talking primarily about Did you about talk to shutdown. Sarah again? Did you call her again and say, tell him to talk about the shutdown? Did you talk to Sarah Sanders about it? Me? Yeah, you. Don't you talk no, to her talk weekly? To I thought you talked to her weekly. You guys are good buddies. I'm better friends with her brother, David. Oh, okay. Anyway, David Adam Smith, all right, is a politician. He's a Democrat. Uh, he uh, has been representing Washington's 9th Congressional District since 97. Why they would vote for somebody who is so empty-headed, I don't know. He's on the House Armed Service Committee. He was asked about the wall. Take a listen to what he had to say. This is cut seven. Uh, he's quoting President Barack Obama, but Senator Barack Obama in 2005. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. Uh, and then I voted when I was a senator to build a barrier to try to prevent illegal immigrants from coming in. Right. That's Hillary Clinton. So you voted for barriers in the past. So any concern that this hard line is going to backfire? Well, well, no, because, and that's the point, um, the wall is not in itself, uh, itself a, a bad idea. It's just, it's, it's been done. And what the president has not done is he has not made the case that on the portions of the border where a wall has not been built, how is a wall going to actually enhance border security? There is no evidence whatsoever that that's necessary, and yet he's willing to shut down the government and stop paying border patrol agents, and in many cases, you know, stop all the efforts that we have made to enhance border security um, over a campaign promise. And a campaign promise, as you pointed out, that Mexico was supposed to pay for. Let's- he is shutting down the government to break his signature campaign promise. Let's his talk signature about the campaign promise was that the taxpayers weren't going to have to pay for it. All right. We'll talk more about that when we come back. Oh, yeah. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hold on. We'll be back in a moment. All right. Man, 4 o'clock. Next hour, folks from Conduit uh, News will join us. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about uh, the uh, 
92nd General Assembly that will start next week. Don't forget that we will broadcast every day. Don't forget that now, Robert. you got to come to the Capitol. I'm going to be there as much as I can. All I mean right. that. I mean that. Yeah, because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I, I just sent uh, Congress, uh, not Congressman, State Representative Pinkerton uh, a note today, a mm-hmm. voicemail, in fact, asking him to join us. He's He's got some new legislation dealing with the stand your ground law mm. and so i want to get him on to tell us exactly what it is i got a hold of trent garner but did you know that they can't talk about another person because they're not in session yet about another person's bill why not it's it's a, a it's a, i guess it's a, against rule. the rules or something oh, i thought that was know. kind of interesting it's a lot. yeah uh, well you would think that they could say whether they thought it was good or bad legislation yeah but that not the case so he gave me uh mr pinkerton's phone number so i mm. i left him a message so we'll see if if he calls back i'll i'll fire off another one tomorrow if i don't hear from him uh the uh but we'll be there monday through thursday starting at the beginning of the session which is next thursday a week from thursday that's the 17th i believe and uh you know while they're in session we'll be there every day monday through thursday now Towards the end, probably as we get into March, we'll be there Monday to Friday mm-hmm. because uh, things start speeding up, more things, they try to sneak them through and things of that nature. So we want to be there in case they try to do that kind of stuff and we can get information out to you, the listener, uh, so that you know you can call your state rep or your state senator and say, no, I don't want that to go through. So anyway, uh, keep in mind that we're the only radio station that does it uh, this way, that we're there the whole time uh, other than Friday. Now, why don't we do Friday? It's very simple. During the beginning of the session, uh, most of these guys are wanting to get home uh, on Friday. They take care of their businesses because a lot of them own their own businesses, and they want to see their family because they've been away from their family uh, initially the the whole you know week. So they're, they're, they leave early is what they do. They try to get out by noon. And if they get out by noon, I'm sitting there by his lonesome listening to my voice echo through a very, very uh, quiet. But it's a nice voice, Dave. Oh, well, (laughs) that's that's up for debate. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, you're sitting there, you know, by yourself. There's nobody to join us. And we we do it for people to join us and talk about uh, legislation. Right. As far as that goes. I had uh, Kim Hammer on last week, which uh, he did very good. He was no, on the great. show. He's great. Uh, talked about some very interesting things. And uh, I need to check into him and, and see how the uh, freedom of speech bill uh, is going over there. Absolutely. As well, because I, I definitely want him to to get that in front of us. We did we did the work. I mean, we... We got it. I got it to you. Yeah, you got it to I me. I got it from a I Minnesota it state yeah. senator and got it to you. Yeah. And you wrote it to fit in with Arkansas. And right. And we got it to him. And so he hadn't, uh, he hasn't uh, put it into play yet. Uh, but I'm he'll hoping get he will. Done, I'm sure, yeah. You know, get that done and get it uh, taken care of. All right. So, again, let's go back and play Adam Smith. Uh, again, he's a Washington congressman, 19th district, I believe. And uh, he was talking about the wall and uh, that the president wants to build. He voted for it when Hillary was uh, saying that she wanted to build it. And 
she uh, he he backed up President Obama, who said he wanted to build some wall. He got behind that. Here's what he said, though, about the president, President Trump, and his wanting to have a wall. Uh, we, he's quoting President Barack Obama, but Senator Barack Obama in 2005. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. Uh, and then I voted when I was a senator to build a barrier to try to prevent illegal immigrants from coming in. Right. That's Hillary Clinton. So you voted for barriers in the past. So any concern that this hard line is going to backfire? Well, well, no, because, and that's the point, um, the wall is not in its, uh, of itself a, a bad idea. It's just, it's, it's been done. And what the president has not done is he has not made the case that on the portions of the border where a wall has not been built, how is a wall going to actually enhance border security? There is no evidence whatsoever that that's necessary, and yet he's willing to shut down no the government. Evidence and stop paying Border Patrol agents, and in many cases, you know, stop all the efforts that we have made to enhance border security um, over a campaign promise. And a campaign promise, as you pointed out, that Mexico was supposed to pay for. Let's he is shutting down the government to break his signature campaign promise. Let's his talk signature about the- campaign promise was that the taxpayers weren't going to have to pay for it. All right, so here's the first thing. All, take all of what was said when this guy started talking and put a big line through it because right. it was a bunch of BS. He said that if they built the wall, they'd not have any more border security there. Right. That's false. Of course. That, that's false. They've said all along the wall with right. border you know, security. Well, it, it's such a basic proposition, and it's so disingenuous of the left on this point first trump has said he wants to build a wall that is to be clear a physical barrier and then say oh well you're changing the terms Uh, okay i mean do do you want to say that you won because he changed it from wall to physical barrier barrier uh the president said yeah okay you can you want to call it that you want to call it a fence if it's like a heavy steel fence and you think that you've won by defeating the notion of the wall Knock yourself out because we're good with concrete, we're good with steel slats, but, you know, not chain link, not picket. So it's got to be a strong, big uh, physical barrier. Now the Democrats say, well, we need all of these other things. I love that the Democrats are such experts when it comes to border security that they know that all of these other means work, but a wall doesn't work. Right. As the president himself pointed out, president, former President Obama put a wall around his house. Many people have walls or fences around their houses. Pelosi. Right. They, these people have do, uh, locks on their doors. They close their windows at night. So the notion that you create a physical barrier is so obvious. And that, oh, well, that's an eighth century solution. You mean like the wheel, like fire, like the fork? <laughs> You know, there are plenty of things that we use today that have been around from the time of Christ, no less. So let's not uh, uh, trash an idea because it's only worked well for thousands of years. A wall works. We know walls work. They're not the be-all and end-all. Nobody said it was going to be. Uh, So, uh, but you heard, uh, Pelosi, uh, the wall is immoral. 
Yeah, how immoral. can it be immoral? Immoral. Well, here's how it's immoral, Dave. It's a good question that you posed. It's immoral if you believe in one world nation, one world government, and open borders. By the way, there are people who believe in that, and they're entitled to it. Meaning they're entitled to believe in it. I think it's a bad idea, but there are a lot of people that believe a lot of goofy ideas. These people believe in that. So if you think, hey, I can come into your house and eat your food. I can come into your house and take your things because you're part of either the one or the five or the 10 or the 20 or the 40 percent or because you you have lived the benefit as i know you have dave of white privilege because yes, I, you I know have. i'm I would, white yeah well i rolled up on dave's house on on thanksgiving and you know i had to weave my way through the bentleys and the rolls royces and the bmws i had to climb up the gold laden stairs and take the <laughs> elevator up to the 14th floor of his mansion so we could be served by butlers and maids wearing black and white uniforms. Yes, Dave clearly is the beneficiary of white privilege. So if if all of these things apply, then of course you believe in no borders. And then the presence of a border is uh, discriminatory, racist, immoral. Did you hear the guy on, on Morning Joe? What's his name? Um, uh, um, he ran that advertising agency. Yeah, I know. You know, you know, I'm talking a guy with the gray hair who I, I always wondered why he was on that show to begin with. And then Mika said it on the show. She goes, why, uh, Donnie Deutsch. He goes, why is Donnie even here today? Uh, what does he have to add? That's what I think. Uh, and so it's it's curious when you hear these people complain that either the wall can't work because they are construction slash security experts all of a sudden uh, and they want to look past common sense, right? You put a barrier between you and me, guess what? It's harder for you to reach me. Uh, and they want to uh, um, claim somehow that their expertise tells them that every other option is available except the one that the president has proffered. Now, does that sound like a, a a benign explanation or does it sound like the Democrats are playing politics? And then, you, of course, you read the New York Times, which I continue to read, but it's just become so patently leftist. Then they go, well, Trump has boxed himself in with his wall promise. Well, boxed himself in. Is it is it is it boxed in uh, when when he says uh, I made a promise and I'm going to keep it? Is that is that boxed in or is that actually doing what so few politicians have done in our lifetime? Remember, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, I think, but you'd have to correct me, Dave, the senior Bush all said they were going to move and Obama were going to move the embassy uh, of the U.S. in Israel to Jerusalem. And the only one to keep that promise, the only one, Donald Trump. Yep. Okay, so keep promises made, promises kept is a crazy formula, ain't it, in politics? But in the rest of the world, it's how we live. Yeah. Well, Pelosi says about the wall, she says it's not right. It's immoral. Let me tell you why. Here's why she says it is immoral. The fact is, is that a wall is an immorality. It's not who we are as a nation. We are not doing a wall. Does anybody have any doubt we are not doing a wall? So one of my favorite actors, James Wood. Oh, he's great. Went back to her on Twitter and post Nancy Pelosi. The fact is a wall is an immorality. It's not 
who we are as a nation. And he sent back and said, then why do you have a wall around your house? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, crickets. Crickets. Yeah. Crickets. Exactly. Yeah, they, she definitely has a, uh, a, a wall, and even Snopes says so. Yeah, and not only that, by the way, when she was Speaker, and probably thereafter, but I'm not sure, as Speaker, they get a host of security, you know. She's chauffeured around uh, and has a host of security. And I'm not saying she shouldn't, but it's real easy for those people that have private security, or in her case, public security, to say, hey, you don't need protection. You don't need a cop nearby. You don't need a wall keeping people who are not permitted to walk into this country, in this country. Okay, and then when we come back, let me talk about those nasty millionaires out there. I want to tell you exactly how much Pelosi and her husband are worth. All right, so, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Ocasio-Cortez is like shooting fish. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, as far as that's con- con- can, concerned. Can, can we, as you... Uh, 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 as you bring that up, Dave, can we bring bring up uh, what's her name, Warren, uh, Senator no, Warren? Um, very smooth. I put that in quotes because I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, behavior on that video chat when she was talking to, I guess, her community. It was it, it was goofy. I'm right? just sitting here having a beer. Right, but it, it's like it, no, it was like I'm going to start hey, calling her. Hey, Senator Sixpack. Yeah, Senator Sixpack. Exactly. I, I think this is she, right? I, I think I'll have a, um, a, a a beer. Maybe I'll have a beer. Should I have a beer, honey? Let me grab a beer, and she grabs a beer. <laughs> let me open this beer, and then she sort of slurps the beer. Bring her up in front of the newest justice on the Supreme Court, and let him ask her how many. Yeah. How many beers did she have? Exactly. Did she have? Exactly. exactly. But right. it's not only that, it was so contrived. You know, there was some article, I think, again, New York Times suggesting, oh, when women run, they're, they're seen as aggressive or mean and people and unlikable. No, I never got the impression that she was unlikable or likable or anything like that. Or but, mean. Or mean. That's right, in fact. But you know what? This Liar, vi- different. Right. And different. this video, well, consistent <laughs> with that, this video makes her seem inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Right, like I don't drink beer because I don't like that that hoppy taste, you know. So I don't drink it. So I wouldn't put on a show. See, of that's drinking what screwed beer. things up for Hillary. What's that? It's because she tried to change who she right. was. Right, there was the perception. That's right, and it was totally wrong. Right, and, and but in addition to inauthentic, Hillary came off as a number of other things. Uh, she came off, as I said on your show at the time, like a robot. Uh, uh, um, Warren doesn't come off like a robot at all. But this video made her seem entirely insincere. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. So let me give the information to the folks that yes. I said I'd give them Sorry. about Pelosi. According to the Washington Post, the estate, they don't call it a house, okay? It's more than a house. Yeah, exactly. And everybody who thinks that Pelosi lives in San Francisco, no. She lives in the Napa Valley area of Central California, which is, to say it's high rent is an understatement. The estate is worth $5 million back in 2011 when they bought it, her and her husband. Uh, according to financial disclosures, uh, they got uh, a vineyard on it, which brought in at least $5,000 worth of grape sales. Her and her husband, Paul, by the way. So think of this next time that she talks about the rich uh, 
By the way, it's estimated, or they are estimated, to be worth right around $72.1 million. You know, it's that point one that makes the difference. It must be the difference. Yeah, you know, like if you're in that point one, <laughs> I'd stay home and eat a TV dinner because you're just not quite sure. But with the a point banquet one, one at the, that. that, indeed. But the point not one, not a handyman. No, the point one. Then you, sh- then you've chinned that bar. Now you're, now you're rich. Now you're loaded. All right. So, I got a Democratic uh, Congress person here trying to explain why Democrats call the border wall immoral. Yeah, please. Cut number five. Play it for Let's us, Let's talk about the merits of a border wall. Here is what <coughs> Speaker, New Speaker Nancy Pelosi says. We're anyway. not doing a wall. Does anybody have any doubt about we're not doing a wall? The wall, in my view, is an immorality. It is, again, a waste of money and opportunity cost to protect the American people. But it is a diversionary tactic on the part of the president. I want to ask you a specific question, Congressman. Why is a wall immoral? I'm not asking why it's ineffective or why you think the money could be spent better, but the speaker keeps saying the wall is immoral. There's a wall or a fence around the White House. People build walls around their homes. Why is a border wall immoral? I think what the speaker is saying is that we believe in securing our borders. We appropriated $1.7 billion over the last two years for border security. The department has spent less than 6%. But we're prepared to do more because we need to do more. But we want to do it in a way that's effective. That, but, that why, but if I may, if I may just press, why is a wall immoral? Well, I think that's a question the, the speaker will, will have to answer. But I think what she means by that is it doesn't reflect our values as a country, that America has been a place that welcomed refugees and immigrants, people who are fleeing violence and war. And But I think the real point of that, the rest of her sentence is it's not cost effective. It doesn't achieve the objective. Democrats are committed to securing our borders. We have voted to secure our borders and appropriate significant okay. resources to do it. But let's use technology. Let's use drones. Let's use satellites. Let's do cargo inspections which aren't happening let's do things that will actually secure the board but let's not talk about why is a border wall immoral we'll talk about everything else i'll i'll answer everything else but because to be honest, well, I a, have no freaking idea why Pelosi thinks that the wall is immoral. There you go. There you go. I don't know how to better say it, right? Like, it's a, <laughs> it's such an absurd statement. Like, you could say, I don't think it's a good policy, even though it is. You could say, I think it costs too much money, even though it doesn't. So, but there are types of arguments that you can say. But saying it's immoral is almost akin to saying it's popcorn. Like, it, it's a series of words that individually mean something, but when strung to together is sheer gibberish and you're telling everybody who has a fence around their house that yeah. they're immoral they're immoral they're immoral you do not represent what america is you know i had uh, i had uh, lunch recently with a friend of mine a conservative and he mockingly said to me when i was saying something about immigration uh, and remember let me just set this out uh, um uh, you guys know 30 seconds yeah that m- my parents uh, were immigrants uh, that that i said I welcome immigrants, legal immigrants. And he mockingly said, well, you're, you know, you're kind of mean-spirited, aren't you, Rob? I said, okay, if the, do, is that the label you want to give me for someone who obeys the law? Uh, okay, meaning I'm not looking to adopt that, but if that's what you want to say, knock yourself out. There you go. We're playing this for you. 
Well, we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, Dave, yeah, is, are. <laughs> Dave is taking a break, but uh, I'll make a few comments until Dave gets back. You know, I have often uh, bemoaned the responsiveness of government actors when I or others make a Freedom of Information Act request, and I think it's worthwhile to speak about when they do it well. And I recently made a Freedom of Information Act request of UAMS, you know, the medical school here. And I've dealt with a fellow there by the name of Mark Hagemeyer. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I briefly dealt with uh, the chief counsel of uh, the University of Arkansas system to get in touch with Mark. who, uh, Joanne Maxey, I think, uh, I think that's her name. Um, and I must say that they were 100% professional. They, uh, communicated well with me. Uh, they got me the material in a, a quick fashion. And I really appreciate that. And so I think it's worthwhile to say to the public when, uh, when government actors act poorly, they need to be pointed out. And guess what? When government actors act well, as they did here, then uh, kudos to them. And so I want to thank them, but I also want to point them out. So, you know, if you know them or if you know someone who knows them, you can tell them. Rob Steinbuck thought you did well on FOIA, uh, which is his kind of passion. Um, and so it's... Um, it was uh, it was good to see. Let's hope we see more of that kind of behavior when we deal with government actors, state or local. And now that we're, Dave, entering the new session, let's hope we don't see some of the crony bureau hacks look to introduce bills that undermine the strength of our outstanding Freedom of Information Act. Well, I agree. And here's the thing. They need to if they try to water it down you and i and others will make sure that doesn't happen amen it didn't happen the last time for the ones who tried it that's right because when we started bringing the light to it even the governor said this is not good that's right that's right that's right and and kudos to him and kudos to tim griffin the lieutenant governor who really was solid on and remained solid on the foia issues so thank thank goodness for that but dave i gotta give you know i was just giving some kudos as you heard to these uh, government uh, actors let me give some kudos to you you're a voice of reason of conservatism uh and of transparency for the state of our Arkansas, and we would be worse off if we didn't have you defending the Freedom of Information Act on a regular basis. Well, we'll continue to defend that. We'll Thank con- you. You know, I uh, I have to say that I'm proud that the state Senate finally is going to uh, go the transparency route of of televising or streaming. Yeah, uh, their meetings uh, in the in the you know the well have the yeah. well of the Senate open and some of the. I haven't gotten all the ifs and ands and buts about this, but it seems to me that they're going to do like the House does and let everybody in and watch what their meetings are going to be like. I mean, they've had a lot of pressure on them because the state representatives have been doing this now for years. I've been screaming about it on the air. There's been other people screaming about it as well, and they finally bent. They finally gave gave it up because what... What they were saying until that point was, well, it's kind of like 
the old stupid argument that's still out there of judges that say, well, we don't want to put cameras in yeah, the courtroom yeah, yeah. because what that makes it makes really good. Yeah, really good lawyers become lawyers that are playing to the camera. No, they they're going to play to the camera, whether it's in the courtroom or on the steps of the courtroom. That's right. That's, right. that's going to happen. And, and it's not as if look, the cameras in the courtroom will somewhat marginally change behavior likely but what's the benefit versus the cost yes right you should be able to watch the judge you should be able to watch justice in action exactly you should be you know at that point i don't have any problem uh of uh, lady justice pulling the the blindfold up just a little bit for us to see that part now into the jury room where all of the, de- uh, the debate is going, right. deliberations right. going on. No, right. it right. keep right. cameras out of that. That's right. That's right. All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, Rashida Lobby. Is yeah, that what her I name don't is? Know how to pronounce it. Okay. The, the new She's congresswoman, congresswoman from Michigan yeah. of um, of Arabic descent. Have you heard what she said? Yes. Okay. What do you think it was anti-Semitic? Oh, I thought you meant to comment about impeaching Trump. Oh, no, Trump. Not, Im, not the M. Effer. Oh, uh-uh, oh no. no, no, no. What did she, she say? She was responding to a post by Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders suggested that Senate Republicans were more loyal to Israel than the U.S. Oh, my gosh. Amid a report that GOP leaders were planning to introduce a bill that would punish companies that participate in the so-called uh, oh, the boycott, ban. divestment, right. and sanctions against Israel. Right. And she said, quote, they forgot what country they represent. This is the U.S. where boycotting is a right and part of our historical fight for freedom and equity. Maybe a refresher on our U.S. Constitution is in order. Then get back to opening up our government instead of taking our rights away. Sanders Post had criticized Senate Republicans for planning to introduce the Strengthening America's Security in the Middle East Act a pro-Israel bill instead of legislation to end the ongoing partial federal government shutdown, which entered its uh, 17th day today. Republican uh, uh, Marco Rubio immediately called her post an anti-Semitic line that perpetuates a long-standing dual loyalty conspiracy that holds that Israel effectively controls Washington politicians. Yeah, that's interesting, Dave. Uh, And I... Uh, I'm no fan of this Rashida. I, I just I, I can't. I don't even know the last name, so I'm not trying to to um, be impolite. But I don't. Uh, I, I'm no fan of her as a congresswoman. What little I know about her, given the comments she's already made regarding the president. Uh, but by the way, she can be against a bill that opposes the BDS, the the um, sanctions movement against Israel. She cannot support that bill. That's that's her right. She's entitled to. But the bill itself, uh, the, there can be people that support that bill. So I don't know, just based on what you read me alone, uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to call her comments anti-Semitic. I'm happy to call them stupid. I'm happy to call them bad policy, but I'm not ready to call, you know, every statement that uh, I, I take Rubio's point well, right? And so the question is, is she saying that if you support Israel, that's a dual loyalty issue? Uh, if she were saying that, then I would agree with Rubio. He may turn out to be right. I'm just not quite sure yet that she's chinned the bar on that awful trope. Well, this is kind of a good one because some commentators are saying 
they sounded the alarm about her because of what has been done to Trump. Right. Uh, because he was lambasted repeatedly in the media for allegedly issuing anti-Semitic, quote, dog whistles. Right, right. Because of his criticisms of liberal billionaire George Soros. Right. You know, Dave, you, you raise a very important and interesting point. Let's take a minute to talk about this. So if Trump uh, um, criticizes Soros, and by the way, to, if criticizing Soros is criticizing Jews, then you really don't know that much history about Soros to begin with in any event. Be, uh, uh, but in any event, um, so that is not – it's not anti-Semitic to criticize Soros or to criticize even someone who is Jewish and, and sort of wears that identity more significantly than someone like Soros does. Uh, the same way it's not anti-Semitic uh, to criticize Israel uh, in and of itself. So on both fronts, you see, you notice I'm a conservative. I don't agree with what this congresswoman, Rashida, whatever, uh, said. I, I said before we even got to the Soros matter that at least as of yet, her comments don't strike me as anti-Semitic. I said the same thing clearly about uh, Trump's criticism of Soros because they were not anti-Semitic comments. So we have to be careful because this is a behavior of the left, right? Typically, the left says, oh, if you say anything bad about, say, a black person, then you're a racist. You say anything bad about a gay person, then you're a homophobe. You say anything bad about a woman, you're a misogynist. No, maybe I've got something bad to say about individuals who happen to fall into those categories. And so I have now demonstrated, uh, without being prompted, that on the left and on the right, when people make comments, I am not going to jump over that line and immediately call them anti-Semitic or any of the other ists that the left so frequently throws at conservatives. Yeah, here, here's the other thing. You're going to love this. Have you, did you hear about what's going on with uh, Sheila Jackson? No. In Texas? No. Okay. Well, she, did you hear about J- J- uh, Jasmine Barnes was killed down in Houston? I think seven-year-old little girl. Yes, I did and, hear about that. Uh, Awful, by the she, way. Can we just comment? Yeah, she called it a Awful. hate crime. Right. She said it was a hate crime because initially information came out that the shooter was a white guy. I see. They've arrested the two suspects now, and they're both black. I see. Is it is it still a hate crime? Uh, she's she's calling, still saying it was not irresponsible to say it was a hate crime at the beginning. Well, why is it not a hate crime now? A, bla- a black person can't commit a hate crime? I guess not. Is that the claim? You know, she says that Barnes was shot and killed while sitting in the backseat of a mother's what? car, witnessed descriptions of a white man in his 40s at the scene of the shooting. Sketch put out by police prompted widespread speculation a hate crime had been no, happening because it, 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 was, it was a white guy. Because a white guy. Killing a black person. Well, but why, and I'm not being facetious. Why couldn't a black person commit a, a, a hate crime? I don't know. All right. All right. Well, this is. She, uh, quote, I believe in having written hate crime legislation, knowing the criteria, I believe that this should be looked at as a hate crime, she oh said during a press conference Friday in a video posted to the Congresswoman's Facebook page. We don't want to have on the street someone who is willing to kill children and possibly kill them in the name of hate. My, about, here's my yeah, thing. Yeah. If you kill anybody, right. you kill them in the name of hate. Right. And, 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 and it, why can't we just have the first part of our sentence? I don't want someone on the street that killed children. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. That'd be great. You do not need to continue that sentence. And yeah, she went on at a, at a uh, rally to say... 
don't be afraid to call this a hate crime. Uh, the I call all murder hate crimes, by the way. Yeah. Let's okay? look here. I, I had some statements from the uh, uh, lawyer, mm-hmm. and he, he said that, uh, you know, I said it was a hate crime because most of these kinds of crimes are racially motivated. Mm. Kind of okay. the wrong thing for you to but what's the basis jump on. Yeah, I just, I, why? What's the basis for that? Because Maybe. It, like that's an empirical better. question, right? It's, it sounds better. It's an empirical question, but most yeah. of which crimes, killing of of, of children, yeah. are, are racially. Mo- I, I, listen, I don't have the data on it, but intuitively that strikes me as incorrect. But I'm open to be dissuaded. You can prove me wrong, but show me the data. Yeah, well, right? that's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. As a, I do know that what was it that the other Democrat. Uh, uh, congresswoman from Minnesota that's the first Somali refugee to oh, get right. elected. Oh, right. I saw that. I saw yeah, that. Did you see what she said about the, about the Jews? No. She said, uh, we've got to figure out a way to break the Jewish hypnotists. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, that is a, a racist trope, yeah. right? They're, oh, yeah. the Jews are running the media. Yeah. The Jews are running the banks. Yeah. They're underground having their secret meetings. Dave, I got to leave a little early today because I got to check in with my secret meeting uh, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the underground. Oh, did I say that? Is this mic yeah. on? Oh, oh no. Yeah. I've, the yeah. cat's out of the bag now. That's what the lady, oh, that's my. what they're saying. Oh, it's, my. it's incredible they get away with some of this oh, stuff. This gosh. one especially... There was more to this. Let me see where else the rest of this is. It came after the part that I saw. Russ, did I leave my secret uh, underground conspiracy ID card in your office the other day? No comment. Okay, there you go. There you go. Where was it? Russ was kind enough. Here's what she said. Go ahead. She said, Omar said that, and this is back in 2012, Okay. okay? Israel has hypnotized the world. Oh, here we go. May Allah awaken the people oh, boy. and help them see the evil doings of Israel. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's that's uh, we're starting to cross that line, Dave, that we were talking about earlier. That whole hypnotism and the oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's kind of weird, man. I'm just telling you, Ben Shapiro says Democrats have soured on Israel and have they warmed. Have? To anti-Semitism. Well, there's no question that the Democrats have soured to Israel. That's that's just a factual point, right? And so, uh, long, for many years, people have said to me, Rob, we know you're Jewish. I talk about it a lot, and I like to talk about it, and I, and I like to talk about religion and, and the intersection of Judaism and Christianity. Uh, and so people, and they know I'm conservative, and so they often say to me, Rob, in all seriousness, we don't understand why the majority of Jews uh, seem to be, and I think it's fair to say, are Democrats. And I've got a, 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 you know, a number of points that I think historically have created, that describe why that situation is the case. I think it's wrong for Jews to be Democrats. I think it's uh, bad for the country and bad for their own self-interest as well. And this is further proof that uh, Jews uh, um, likely have more awareness uh, than maybe the average American of events in Israel, although I think there's a very large um, Christian movement that is very aware of Israel and what's going on uh, in Israel as well. So even that statement may no longer be true. Um, But whatever group is aware of what's going on in Israel, if you're a supporter of Israel, as you should be, for the simple truth, by the way, that it's the only true democracy in the Middle East, and 
last time I checked, that's the kind of thing we want to support, um, that if you support Israel, then you should at least consider that when you're voting. All right, got to get a break in. When we come back, a paragraph from Ben Shapiro you got to hear on the Dave Ellswick Show. Everybody knows I love Ben Shapiro. Ben's a personal friend of mine. Yeah. All right. I was the first radio show to have him on when he was 16 years old. Tell me that. When he started writing uh, conservative political columns. He's a great guy, and he is very, very smart. Oh, he's a genius. I wanted to say that. He's just very, very smart. Uh, Do I think he was right about Trump? No, but that doesn't take away that he's a smart cat. Yeah, well, that's a thing, you know, and I said this last week on your show. You know, we can disagree on on issues, uh, but if you're not over the edge like the leftists have become, okay, so what? Yeah, so here's what he said. Yeah, please. The truth is that the Democrat Party has been flirting with and in some cases openly embracing anti-Semitism for years. Absolutely. That's why, that's why top members of the Democrat Party continue to kowtow to open anti-Semites like Linda Sarsour and Louis Farrakhan. It's why the Democrats booed Jerusalem in the 2012 Democratic National Committee platform. I, I did not know that. Yeah, well, they booed God in general. I did know that, All right, yes. But the, the, the guy uh, that was up at the t- in the front of the cr- uh, crowd said that the The eyes didn't have the votes, but they did. Uh, It's why the Obama administration routinely played public relations arm for the Iranian government. It's why no major Democrat will go on record condemning Talab or Ahan Omar. So uh, she was photographed last week, by the way, wearing Palestinian robes with Sarsour, Mm -hmm. a proponent of Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. Farrakhan has compared Jews to termites. Oh, well, he's a racist. And right? I mean, he's an anti Semite. But if yeah. a Republican did that, right. the right. media would go right for the throat. That's right. That's right. Just saying. So, anyway, know that uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out in the end. Look, the, the, there is a problem in the Democratic Party right now, and that problem is that. They've, they've always wanted to be sort of big tent. That notion is perfectly fine, right? You want to bring in as many people and then you get to win elections and pursue policy. So the notion of big tent is fine. But the Democrats le- lately, but this has been going on for some time, in pursuing the big tent have pursued people with clearly anti-Semitic agendas. And as such – um, have essentially condoned that behavior, I guess, under the belief that they'll get more people that way and they probably won't lose that many Jews in any event. I don't know their calculus, but I'm surmising that's what it is. And I think that there will be a lot of Jews that flee eventually the Democratic Party, and I think that's a I think they should, right? The, the the Democratic Party has taken African Americans for granted for years and years, and they've lost some, not most, but some of them uh, as a result of that as well. Uh, and some of their immigration policies, their complete open border policies, obviously hurt lower <laughs> economic 
sectors more than higher economic sectors. And as we know, and this is a, a liberal position, if I mean, it's fact, but the liberals certainly acknowledge that African-Americans, amongst others, still uh, on average uh, sit in the lower economic strata. Uh, and so they're hurting a good portion of their own base uh, when they pursue these open border policies. And I think that eventually will come back and hurt them, although I think it's slow to do so. And I also think that they're they're gambling that they'll wind up with more votes from um, illegal or legal uh, immigrants than they will lose as a function of their open border policies. All right. We got to come back. Uh, the folks from Conduit News will be with us. Got a lot to talk about yet here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll talk with Conduit about FOIA today. They got some questions oh, for you great, today great. about FOIA. Robert Steinbach, Dave Ellswick, and then the folks from, of course, the great folks from the Conduit News uh, uh, community will join us in the final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we continue. That means that uh, since the holidays... Uh, we haven't had Conduit News with us. They're joining us today as well as they typically do on a Monday mm-hmm. at 5 o'clock. And we got a lot of things we can talk to them about. We're a little over a week away from the 92nd General Assembly uh, convening uh, at the, the, the Capitol. Capitol. We'll be there uh, to uh, broadcast live in the afternoons. And uh, the folks uh, that we're talking to today, Brenda and Joe, uh, are you guys going to come down to the wild and woolly town of uh, of Little Rock a, a few times so we can get you on uh, live and in person? Hello. Nope. Oh, if I do if there I do go. that, it works a lot better. There you go. I forgot to put I forgot to put you on. Start where you started from, uh, if you would, Brenda. Absolutely. Okay, so you guys are coming. We'll we'll be down there. Uh, occasionally but our operatives will be down there continually <laughs> okay so what you're, what you're telling me if i buy you lunch you'll show up and we got the flying fish down here that's some good eats no i now i haven't been there I'm, this is off you know talking about kind of chasing a rabbit here but i have heard that the cafeteria now at the capitol is really good oh, have you all been eating there by any chance well, I mean, over the years we have. Yeah, over the years we have. And I, yeah, I found it an amazing value. Just good, basic food. Good stuff. But uh, has, it, people. has it changed? Well, it, it's just another group owns it now or, or runs it. And I've heard that they're phenomenal. Wow. So well, I got to check it out. good for another 20 pounds? <laughs> yeah, I hope not. I, but I'm not, I'm not a freshman legislator, so I don't have to worry about gaining that that. Initial twenty. Yeah, Neither you nor I, Dave, are freshmen anything anymore. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly right. Plus, I'm not expecting yeah, it's called the the lobbyist LBs. Yeah, exactly. You're right about exactly. that. All right, good to have you guys with us today. Uh, since Robert is here, did you guys have something you needed to ask about FOIA? Is it something that we can talk about that everybody would get something of, of benefit out of it? Well, we we were uh, visiting with some people about improving the FOIA current FOIA law, and you know I like it. I think it, I think we have a great we have one of the best ones in the country. Yeah. How would you improve it? I mean, I would I would like to think that if it was being enforced currently, uh, why would we need to improve it? But I wanted Robert's input on that. 
All well, right, I appreciate well, that. You could you him. couldn't ask him. All right, now you know that because you asked that specific mm-hmm. general question, we may not get to say another word the rest of the show. I have my timer running. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Robert. Well, I'll give you one thing that I was. You know, Mark Johnson, uh, Senator Mark Johnson, was here uh, last well, a few days ago, and and Dave asked me to come in. Yeah. What was it, like Wednesday or Thursday? Thursday. Of last Thursday. Week. Thank you. Uh, and Mark is a wonderful guy, very smart guy, and I'm so glad he's in our Senate now. And he and I were talking offline about uh, issues involving the FOIA. And one of the issues that he brought up that I thought was a fantastic issue was the fact that you see uh, government entities saying two related things. They say, A, uh, if we get a donation, and that's sort of like museums and hospitals and universities, if we get a donation, the information regarding that donation uh, is not subject to the FOIA because it's competitive information. Uh, no, it's not. No, it's not. That's, that's nonsense. Uh, we call that Shinola in, uh, in, uh, in technical terms. And relatedly, uh, Mark was telling me how he sought to get certain documents that were turned over to a public library, you know, like they're not um, President Clinton documents, I think, uh, but something like that. Uh, and then some of them were retracted or something. And he said, I wanted to get copies of that. And they said again, well, there's some competitive disadvantage uh, exemption that we don't have to turn those records over to you. And uh, no, that's not what that. Exemption How does a nonprofit says. have competitive advantages? Right. And the claim is, that's a great question, the claim is, it's almost hard to articulate because it's such sheer nonsense, but the claim is the competitive advantage is if we ID, for example, a person that gives a dollar uh, to us uh, as a nonprofit, that somebody else may seek to take money from that guy or girl, and therefore we may lose that money next year. So that's a competitive disadvantage. Like, you can't even say Say that sentence with a straight face. It's such rubbish. But we have had governmental entities using that as an excuse not to turn over clearly public records. So Mark has raised that as a possibility for revising the FOIA. And I think he's spot on. I think he's spot on on the issue. Well, I would I would ask your input on this. And Joe, you, you chime in. But our experience with this current legislature and the ones for the last four legislative sessions maybe uh, is that the bills have to be carefully considered because they will be amended or there would be another something added that was unintended by mark perhaps sure uh, look you I, know, think- I know you know and he might agree to or it might it might not fully understand i'm not worried really about mark doing that but i would be afraid that Someone in uh, the Senate might run ahead to lead the parade, call it uh, the thing Mark, Mark might use as the title, and then the content take it a different direction. Well, this is a. a, a uh, I wouldn't give them a chance to open up anything that's not clearly broken. Uh, you know, call me cynical or call me experienced, whichever you like. But, uh, you know, you give them a chance to change the Second Amendment bill to, to clear it up, it's going to get more restrictive, not more open. I mean, considering what we saw the last session that the, the Republicans appeared to want to do to FOIA. Uh, look, I think your hesitancy is spot on, and I think we have a great FOIA. Uh, and it's I've seen, even when I was a staffer in the U.S. Senate, where 
people would write a bill, and I'm just making up a title, but let's say they write a bill that's saying the, the pro-transparency FOIA bill, and really all the text does exactly the opposite. So we absolutely need to be on guard for that. Now, keep in mind, uh, there's a new creation uh, a commission uh, created by the legislature last session. I'm on that commission. It reviews every proposed piece of FOIA legislation and makes a recommendation thereon, so it will be harder to do under the, the darkness of night uh, a bill that it purportedly supports the FOIA but indeed undermines the FOIA. But I take your point. Every time you open it up, you have a potential for mischief. You also have at least theoretically a potential for improvement. Yeah, it sounds like a at least you know, blind squirrel got a got a nut once. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly right. It can happen. Well, it, it it comes back in my mind anyway to you know, how many more laws do we need that are not enforced <laughs> to generate yet more laws? And just look to at the border. The first one. Yeah, yeah. The, just like you look at the border down there. I mean, you know, how many more laws do we need to to, to go back and say it's illegal to come into this country? Without permission. Well, I'll give you an example. The, the federal FOIA, years ago, um, th- there's this notion, you, you get attorney's fees, essentially, if you win a FOIA case, if you, quote, substantially prevail. So, of course, if you go to court and you get a, a judge and the judge says, you're right, well, you won, right? You know that. What happens if you get up to courthouse steps and then the government agency says, oh, my gosh, we are going to get our behinds handed to us. Here's uh, essentially what you're asking for. And then the other side said, okay, but let's get a court order making sure we settle everything and they get a court order settling everything is that a, a success well the courts federally and in this state have said uh yes then uh there was a opinion from the u.s supreme court on a non-foia case that suggested uh in a civil rights case that you needed to actually win before a judge as opposed to settling successfully so in anticipation that that bad ruling would be applied to the foia uh the u.s congress said we're going to get ahead of this we know what we initially intended if you settle a case successfully you still have won and so to get ahead of a bad excuse by a government an actor, they went in and clarified that law even further to say, guess what? Settlement counts as winning as well. So it, uh, it's just an example of where a legislature, in that case federal, can get ahead of mischief by government actors seeking to undermine the actual intent and language of an existing law. But I take your point. You've got to be careful when you start monkeying with an engine. So a couple of things on that, Robert. Yes, sir. Uh, one is, I guess the, the moral of the story is you can get the justice or the rights that you have the money to pay for. Mm-hmm. And number two is, uh, it sounds like you might be a supporter of loser pays. And lawsuits. Well, but you know, you know, all joking aside, the notion of loser pays is not a bad idea. I think there are certain contexts in which it is better suited, and in certain contexts in which it is worse suited. But it is a it is a simple economic principle, right? That the incentives should be aligned with the the costs. So I, the loser pay concept is not a bad concept. I don't believe in it across the board because I think there are enough other inefficiencies in the system. But in certain contexts, like FOIA, I do support it. So, uh, you know, I take your point. Well, sort of like uh, you get into the exception makes the rule in that case. We don't want to keep people from being able to go to court. And as a result, that's what might be an exception 
has now, well, you know, then losers will never pay. I mean, it's well, very, del- you know, we've been very unsuccessful at creating a balance. Yeah, and as as one of two, as half of the non-lawyers in the conversation, <laughs> I blame lawyers and judges. <laughs> well, you know, uh, in all seriousness, business people like you who uh, operate in the world, the real world, uh, see the end of it where they get sued, uh, and and with oftentimes illegitimate suits. So I'm sympathetic to that position. I really am. Uh, it, it is not the sole factor that I would consider, but I understand where you're coming from, and it's a reasoned position. All right, we got to get a break in. When we come back, pain point politics. We've talked about this quite often here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Brenda and Joe want to take a look again at uh, the three Ps and talk about how it could possibly be used against the president concerning the wall. We'll talk about that when we come back next on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, if you just joined us, the folks uh, from uh, the good folks up in the Northwest, Brenda and, uh, and Joe are here from Conduit, uh, of course, News. And I wanted to talk about a point that you all use from time to time when we're talking uh local or talking state issues but i've never heard you talk about it from a national standpoint and that's pain point politics and for listeners who haven't heard that term before i'll let you guys explain it and then that you're thinking that the democrats will use this against trump's wall so with that thought we'll use we'll talk about this for the last segment of this first half hour and brenda we'll turn it over to you I appreciate it. We've identified about seven uh, different strategies that uh, are used to grow government. And, you know, matching strategy, like we'll give you this amount of money if you'll match it, you know, the Fed Fed say or whatever. But um, deflection, projection, you know, you you blame your opponent for something sort of like the Russian scandals uh, to deflect the fact that that's actually what you did. But pain point politics is when um, you find the point of pain on an issue like, you know, um, they want to cut educational funding. Well, well, there'll be no teachers. The first thing you do is cut the, cut the number of teachers' salaries or whatever. You go right to where the pain is. You know, there's no there are no nurses if you're going to cut back money, federal money to hospitals or whatever. Suddenly, the doctors there are no doctors. You go right to where the pain. And so we we have uh, watched this wall and the uh, problem with Trump is having with the shutdown and all that. And so Joe and I were talking this morning about, you know, get ready for the pain point politics, especially as the Democrats head to the border to investigate the eight-year-old's death. I'll let Joe pick it up from there. Well, if you just think about what this, how these people operate, and I'm talking about people on both sides, all sides, they'll, they'll hit the emotional issues that the drive-by voter will you know, it'll resonate with like the, the, the children dying. Well, all right, well, you got some kids that died. Well, you know, charge their parents, not the United States government. And how many kids have been killed by illegal immigrants? Why aren't they having the same enthusiasm there? Well, it's a pain point that they want to get their point across. I mean, like the separations, you know, you or I, you know, go rob somebody's house they're not going to keep me and my kids together when I go to jail. Uh, you know, but, well, anything, it costs too much. Oh, they're only looking for a better life. 
well, the, the TSA people are going to have to go. Oh, well, airplanes are going to start exploding left and right. Is that, is that what they're trying to say? And, you know, people are going to have to go on welfare that had, had government jobs now. I mean, it's anything that can cause sympathy for their side. That's the only issue that they put in front of people. And that's pain point politics. They do it here in the state as well. You know, that's an excellent point, Joan Brenda. And I, I call it uh, policy uh, making or policy proposing by anecdote, which is they'll tell a, a tragic story. And the stories are indeed tragic. Uh, some uh, poor child dies. It's tragic. It really is. But you don't make a national policy based on small number of events if they're outliers. That's the question, of course. And so there's no discussion of whether these events are outliers. It's just this one tragedy occurred, and it is indeed a tragedy, and therefore this is the policy we must have. You, you can't make policy like that, but you're exactly right. It's not about logic. It's not about numbers. It's not about empirical analysis. It's about a plea to emotions in a way that's trying to divert from a calculated analysis. And that's unfortunate. You know, it's not unlike when a burglar comes into your house and slips and falls on your kitchen floor in the dark and, and cracks his skull open and he can sue you. That's right. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. That's right. That's exactly right. In fact, I'm hearing that our stand your ground law is going to be changed to take that type of situation into uh you know consideration in in courts here in Arkansas because uh I think what they're going to do is to say if you're in somebody's home illegally the assumption is that you're there for no good yeah wow somebody's had an epiphany didn't they <laughs> indeed well that um you know, I had a, a friend, this is taking us onto a different rabbit trail, but, you know, a divorce action, the the husband shows up in another state, this, thinks he's visiting his wife and bringing them home from in-laws, and uh, he's met with the sheriff, and suddenly uh, a restraining order, and now he has on his record, you know, give us all your guns. I mean, you know, we, we start thinking about where we're going with all these laws and trying to restrict others' behaviors and give them the sense of right and wrong, and it gets it's pretty overwhelming. Well, it hasn't happened yet, but, you know, Letting and, uh, oh, what's his name from Jacksonville? I can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, and I keep forgetting it. I tried to forget it, and then I got a call. Be, and I can't. Go, <laughs> go ahead. Well, it should have been Donnie Copeland. But. <laughs> well, uh, no, the bottom line, they're calling, of course, for the red flag law, and they're saying they got bipartisan support. And I've not seen anything filed yet uh, on that. And by the way, have you guys added to your phone uh, the uh, app now uh, that you can get? I couldn't get it before because uh, you couldn't get it if you, unless you had an iPhone, and I don't use them. Uh, but the bottom line, it's called uh, Lobby Up, and you can get it on your Android now. And that's so great. I just I just touch Lobby Up, and it lists every. A uh, piece of legislation that's been introduced for the session already. Well, and that's great, and we we have had that before and looked at it and and used it, but it really does. It, it's like so many other things that I the way I approach things. That if you're not capable of executing on on a problem, why talk about it? You know, why why be bothered by it if you're not willing to do something about it? Well, my my key is, of course, 
if I see a piece of legislation get introduced, I want my listeners to know about it immediately. And then I start looking for the people that I know are going to talk about it in a uh, logical and straight fashion and why it shouldn't happen. It's like these red flag laws that I'm kind of referring to when we're talking about about uh, letting uh you know, I've not seen it filed yet. That doesn't mean it won't be. they got plenty of days still to file. But we want to keep that in front of people and know that they're on record as saying that they are going to file it. Speaking of letting, I'm sorry, did you want to, speaking of letting, he was in the paper this uh, weekend talking about uh, warning everyone, hey, the Internet sales tax is not going to be enough money, guys. And so I think that's hilarious that he's already in his head passed a new tax and is already moving the Overton window to say we need more. It's never enough, Brenda. It's never enough. Don't you understand? Government is a big suck. That's right. Hang in there, y'all. We got to get the news, and we're going to come back. We got another half hour to go. When we come back, let's talk about State Senator Hendren and how he's independent of the. But that other name I was trying to come up with on the red flag was Will Bond. Will Bond, uh, state senator, is working with Greg Letting on red flag uh, laws. And just for my listeners' sake, hey, guys, I'm going to be all over anything that has to do with red flag. Just and You'll know about it. You'll be able to bombard your state legislators uh, with calls and the governor's office as well. You brought up increases in taxes by mentioning Letting, saying that, you know what, that uh, – getting the, the Internet tax passed and being able to get all that money off of the Internet, that just won't be enough, and he wants more uh, tax money. Let's talk about tax increases in this session. How much uh, How much more do you guys think might be out there that, that uh, elected officials want to take out of Arkansans' paychecks? Or not just their paychecks, but in a roundabout way, when they spend something, they're going to be taxed on it. That's your paycheck, too, Yeah, I understand that. I'm just a roundabout way to do it. Indeed, indeed. Fair enough. Well, I mean, I think that uh, they're looking at the $400 million increase annually for the gas, uh, for the roads. You know, they're looking for that money. The highways are crumbling. Yes, you know, we've got to suddenly keep keep up our highways, and that's how much it suddenly costs. Let's talk about just that, because that's one of those pain point politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, who thinks their roads are perfect? I mean, anytime, anywhere, who thinks the roads are great? Well, that's not the problem. I mean, the problem is the wastefulness. I mean, I've watched it up here in northwest Arkansas for the last 10 years, and these people, uh, uh, I think last time we were on, we talked about the, the road sign mile markers up in Missouri, where they're putting new signs every two tenths of a mile. Instead of every mile, no, I ha- mile no, markers. we didn't talk about that. That's that. That's a good example of wasting money. Well, they do that. They put the wires in the middle of the road. Yes, and I, I know you that. Go and say, why do you put these wires in the middle of the road so that you know motorcyclists can get decapitated? Uh, and then you, two years later, you're, you're pulling them up at seven hundred and seventy thousand dollars per mile, and, and you know expanding the road. I mean, there, there's. $20 million, $30 million wasted in, in northwest Arkansas, and now I see I, what appears to be they're going to just put some more overhead signs up, which aren't needed, but I'm sure the sign companies have a good lobby, which would be 3M. Uh, so they've got enough money to maintain and build. 
but they always go back to the bridges are crumbling. Oh yeah, but wait, point. you know, but wait, they'll tell us, hey, you need to spend more money on all of this stuff because if we don't spend some money, we won't get that federal government money. Yeah, well, matching principle. <laughs> well, yeah. And that was the same argument they used on the Medicaid expansion to some degree. Yep. Uh, Collins used this a lot, where you know, the federal government's going to give this money to us and pay for the whole thing for you know five years or whatever it was, and then they're going to match 90% or whatever it might be. And if well, we where in the hell are these wait. people getting this money that they're, that they're getting magically from the federal government? From a money you know, tree. The $20 trillion debt is... <laughs> They don't relate those two things at all. No, of course not. And here's the other thing, uh, Joe. You know it as well as I do. It, it's like the person who says, hey, I, I saved uh, 20, uh, 20% today on a brand new pair of shoes. But you already got 50 pairs of shoes. Oh, that's all right. I, 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 I saved 20% on these. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Don't, don't get me started there. <laughs> you, you know what I'm I'm, I'm pointing to, and I'll it's crazy. To <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy stuff like thoughts like that that drive us all. Uh, I won't say drove drove us insane, but it drives the people who like to spend money insane because they will follow it insanely to get the money. It's like that's why uh, you know we got the money for uh, seatbelts. You know, they told everybody that they 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 did that to protect. Uh, people and that's not why they did it it's because the federal government said unless you made it a tickable a ticketable offense they were going to lose out i think on 90 million dollars if i remember correctly well you know people forget really really quickly and they get so disgusted that they just tune out and that's i guess the strategy is only the people that have an interest to be served by government stay engaged yeah that may be that may be true all right we've got about 20 minutes to the top of the hour. I did I did not see this article, but Brenda, I understand that you were quoted in it, so it's got to be important to talk about. Uh, and that has to do about the Speaker uh, Pro Tem, and that's uh, Hendren, State Senator Hendren, being independent of the government, uh, of the governor. Now, evidently, they thought it was important to publish a story about that because people know he's related to the governor, so they want to set up the the argument that he's not beholden to the government or to the governor is that right he has said in an article that he disagrees with him more than than any other legislator and if that's true which i i'm not um you know disputing that how how would i have the right to dispute that but if that's true i'm very sad to know that he's acting like a chief of staff rather than a separately elected official elected to a different branch of government whose job is to make it public when he disagrees with the executive branch. Well, it, it, it makes me wonder what he's disagreeing with him, because I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing what they have decided to do. What was Hendren saying should be done, since he's he you know is the man leading the Senate, it would seem to me that he would like to say to the governor, but governor, I understand what you want to do, but this is what the Senate thinks to be done, and we are uh, the governing body that writes laws. I'll give you an example that he used in the article of their disagreement. I I don't recall another one, uh, if there was another one, but he said that the governor wanted to spread the tax cut 
phase it in over four years, which would be his term, uh, where Hendren wanted to phase it in over three. So obviously they di- disagree. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's nearly comical. Yeah, but it was the same amount of money, right? Well, you know, um, I was hopeful, and that's when I made the comment. I thought he was looking to run for governor when he said he wanted a $200 million tax cut when Hendren did, but I didn't see that. Well, we've got to be careful with what Jim Hendren says he wants and what he actually does. Well, he says in the article that, um, you know, back when he could not get a bill passed, it didn't matter what he filed because it would never become law which I find to be the saddest thing that I have heard him say for the second time now, but to say it again at this level in his career, that when he claimed to be conservative Jim Hendren, um, he was not really standing on his sincere principles, but now that he's mature and what he does matters, uh, he moves to the left. Well, you know, they're implementing the, I don't know, a Democrat that's unhappy with the agenda that Ace and Hendren are generally promoting. And that seems very sad because when he speaks to his base, it's all conservative and all less government and less taxes. But what the reality is that he cheerleads for in Little Rock is the Democrat agenda. And we're going to kind of put, uh, let you in on a little a heads up what Conduit's going to start promoting, and that is the Reagan doctrines, which can you imagine that? Doctrines that are 40 years old seem to, what goes around comes back around the need for. And all you have to do is go on Conduit News and read or listen to Ronald Reagan's State of the Union speech from February 18, uh, 1981 and uh, see that the country was at the height of inflation. I remember my husband and I had a farm loan at 21%. Mm-hmm. My home loan, our home loan at 13%. That was what our country was facing. Yeah, that was and all Reagan thanks goes to Carter. With economic measures that changed the face of the country, and now he's still the hero today, but we're now in a position, it's not inflation, but it's still government growth that's killing us, and Conduit is promoting those, and you know, it's consistent, and you'll get to... I think hear more about what we think Arkansas should be doing. Sounds Those good. People have forgotten all about that. It, it's it's like, well, we're going to try something else now. Well, we are. Most of us know what works. It's it's all you got to do is be able to read, add, and subtract, and remember what happened before. And it's very clear what needs to happen. And it seems like with the Republican majority in Arkansas, we're running away from that. All right. And, and if if you point that out. You know, they become the victims, and you become the unreasonable person. It's All right. weird. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree, and it, what it shows you is, and even I will say that Reagan, though he's, you know, he's, he's said to be the great conservative, I wish he had been more conservative, but he had to have been some because Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House, and he had tough times he'd had he didn't have either side of uh of the legislature branch so you know he had to make deals so to speak but uh, he had to fight for what he wanted that's exactly when right you, when you listen to him now it's just like listening to jfk he sounds like a totally different person right now he sounds like a radical person from conduit <laughs> I mean, oh, they're a bunch of radicals <laughs> well i'm see, serious I understand. I can't wait no. for you to read it. It looks like right out of our paper, our white papers. All right, <laughs> That's well, hilarious. we're going to be talking about it. We got to get a break in. When we come back, I want to talk about. It. I've talked to 
many conservatives, I mean real conservatives, and they've said that the governor might be surprised how much he's challenged because they see him now as a lame duck governor. Let's talk about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's finish it up for a Monday. Really, you know, great hour today with the folks from uh, Conduit News. Conduitnews.com is their website. Let me give that to you again. Conduitnews.com, and that's where you'll get these articles now about Ronald Reagan and what he said back in the 80s and how that seems to play here in uh, 2019. So let me ask this of you guys. I, I've heard uh, Brenda and Joe, you guys, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and the same thing as, as you, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Want to hear from you as well. I've heard from several Republicans, real good conservative uh, people, who have said that they will challenge the governor on his ideas during the session where they might not have last year because they thought that he would get elected again in a second running which would have made it very difficult for them to get things done uh, that they had planned. Uh, If the governor won't get behind them, then you're in trouble. But that they might challenge you more because he's lame duck. I mean, he can't run again for governor. So what say you all? Could could this embolden some people to actually voice some uh, negativity uh, uh, towards the governor's programs if necessary? Well, I would first characterize their ambitions as not negative, but positive towards the limited government and more freedom agenda, uh, almost like a freedom caucus. And that's a positive thing. And, and absolutely, they I hope they do. We know several of them. And anytime we can help those who want to reduce government and, and create more economic freedom for the citizens of Arkansas, we want to help them. Yeah, we've heard some positive um you know, plans as well in that direction. And and I can understand how we, you know, how they were overcome sort of the first year, first two years of things going more to the left than they had promised their own constituents, taken aback by it. Then the next two years, you know, when the governor jumps into the primary, starts running, teaching lessons, I'm going to run someone against you, and then actually is successful in several of those. Well, and, and you know, nobody thinks that the governor's going to be able to get him a job that's going to last very long now. I'm not going to deny that that doesn't happen because we all know that it does. But the bottom line is, if you've, you know, it's like, look, I go back and remember Dawn Creekmore and what happened to her under BB uh, when she was called to his office. And I forget what it was that he wanted passed, but she wasn't on board and she had spoke out against it. She call, he, she got called to the principal's office, BB's office, and I was told that from people who were there that he basically said, if you want any of those uh, women's uh, uh, rights uh, bills even looked at, you better vote the way I want you to vote on this pic- particular piece of legislation, or I'll I'll kill every piece of your uh, you know your hopes and dreams. I'll dash them right there in front of you. Yeah, and that's that's the way it works, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, you've you've got high likelihood of Jim Hendren running after Asa, you know, to keep it all in the family, and and so there, there'll there'll be a, a pressure brought to bear from various angles to get the ultra moderate agenda 
of ACEs passed. Well, in, in the article, he talks about maybe some people are objecting to the family relationship there mm-hmm. and him leading the Senate, uh, you know, half of the legislative branch. Uh, is that the right thing? You know, he brings it up. And, and he I, I was quoted in the article as saying that Jim, uh, you know, is is a senator in the mold of the military following his commander with Asa being the commander. His comment was that I just really didn't understand the military mindset uh, or imply, and then mentions as outlined in the Constitution, and I'm thinking, hey, guy, I know the Constitution probably better than you do. Uh, reminding me of the Bob Ballinger comment that I didn't know for you, Robert. That was kind of mm-hmm. interesting. But I can attest, anyway, you know for you. I, I want Jim Hendren to be separate. I want I want that uh, Senate to be led based on the conservative policies that they were elected to carry out. Well, right. absolutely, because what. What he's saying about military, let me tell you what I learned when I was in the military. If you're a general and or if you're a grunt, doesn't matter which one, if the commander-in-chief says, you know, we're going to march backwards in the battle, we're going to march backwards in the battle. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what Andrew and I think is, uh, I've been operating under, and he expects everybody else, like private citizens, to do the same for his orders. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's the one brought it up, saying, you know, it's like she, you know, saying that Brenda doesn't understand the military. He's saying that, uh, you know, the generals they uh, they don't do what the commander in chief says. That's BS. If they don't do what the commander in chief says, then they uh, they resign like Mattis did. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's well, a perfect I example. I want I want that office to be served serving the people, not the governor. Well, and, and my big beef for that whole system, and especially in the Northwest Arkansas group, is just be honest with your base. I mean, don't come tell us one thing in your county committee meetings and publicly and then go do something different and then blame us for pointing it out. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's going to work. Let me ask one last question of you, then I'll let you go because we're running out of time. Uh, you've mentioned it twice, uh, Joe, about Hendren wanting to be governor. I've heard that as well. That sets up a very interesting headbutting session because there's another guy I know that wants to be governor as well, and but right now he's the lieutenant governor of the state. That may make this session really interesting. Do you think? Well, I think uh, the lieutenant governor has some great ideas, but it, but it is, again, it gets down to execution of those ideas. But I think the citizens of Arkansas are ready for a a fiscal responsibility change, and somebody has to lead it. And it's clear that the people leading are not interested in doing that. They're interested in perpetuating their own careers and getting as much benefit out of being elected as possible. I hope the lieutenant governor would act on the the principles that he espouses because he explains them very well. And, and I think that if, if uh, we want some changes in Arkansas, following the principles laid out by Reagan in that 1981 speech, tells you where Arkansas wants to go. They want to give lip service to economic development. Well, Reagan says we're eliminating economic development agency in the federal government. And I think that'd be a great place to start in Arkansas. You know, if we want real economic recovery and development and growth, we, we want to quit using the federal dollars to be the engine. 
I I would agree with that. And with that, Joe and Brenda, it's always a pleasure. Again, conduitnews.com. Go read these articles about Reagan and why they are important to uh, and the ideas that he espoused and why they're important to consider yet once again. They've never changed in their uh, veracity or their validity. You guys uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next Monday. Take care, guys. All right. So great to have them on yes. here on the Dave Ellswick Show. What do you think? You well, think you is, know the do last you point think behind the scenes. The lieutenant governor might get involved. I, oh yes, I think behind, in front, sideways. I think <laughs> I, I think Tim is an outstanding lieutenant governor. Uh, I know he's going to be the next governor. I'm not trying to get ahead of the current governor, but I'm saying he's aptly in line. Uh, we had uh, Tim's uh, chief of staff on uh, when I filled in for you. David Ray. David Ray, and he did a, a fantastic job and also explained and uh, further how the lieutenant governor uh, has been emphasizing all along during his tenure the need to shrink government spending and he demonstrates at first within his own office by cutting spending and that's how you can tell he means it because he starts at home and works his way out not the other way around not the fat cats that sit and tell everybody else oh cut this cut that but oh now you can't cut me because i'm the big shot and he does it in reverse that is the type of person you want in elected office all right so no i don't need to tell anybody i'm a huge supporter of tim and he is he has sat in and done this show oh, for me several times. Oh, yeah. I believe in, in what he espouses, and I think that would be a heck of a primary, to say the least, between Hendren and and Tim. Just got to say it. As long I, as Tim I, wins. I, yeah, as long as he wins. <laughs> I agree with that, too. Russ, thanks a lot. Did a great job today. Appreciate that. Robert, thank you for coming in. Pleasure, if I need bless. you later this week, I'll give you a call. Of we'll course. get you on to explain some things. Indeed. And it won't be about shooting a dog, I promise you. <laughs> it's the Dave Ellswick Show. See you tomorrow, 2 o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.